This is the Pro Wrestling Reflection Podcast with your host, the professor, Chao Bello Veracruz. Mr. Wonderful, Tommy Wonder. And I will take the powers of those that have no fear. And the prodigal one, JB. The queen. The queen of the crop. Now it's time to go back in time in the time machine. nights it has been so long yes i know it's been so long but you know what things happen in real life for us here at the pwr podcast here at the pwr so networks of ibm.com of course shout out to the pwcis the big vetoites the hamenites and all the israelites out there all the magnificent 70 elite eight the naughty nines you know who you are tian couponers donna destructions you know shout out to y'all green peace phillips got wood know who you are but you know what certain things happen and i wanted to address it here for the the seven loyalists that always listen that always give us feedback and always you know comment on the youtubes or on the on the poppings but here it goes you know of course you know the professor chabella cruz the magnanimous one the glorious one he has a real life job that pays the bills so i edify and educate on a real real basis the women are, su- are satisfied on a regular basis. I get the checks for that, for that. But neither here nor there. But I wanted to start the show by not in- by only introducing my brother from another mother. But you know what? Maybe he wants to talk about it or anyway, he- here neither here nor there. But I just want to say this. I'm glad that God said that this man needed to stay on earth, not only for his kids, not only for his dog, but for the most important person in the world, and that's me, because I can't do this show without this man. Because if, if something happened, I would never do the Pro Wrestling Reflection Podcast, and that's 100. I don't care. You can add. I don't need another co-host. I don't need more people. I don't need to change the, the demographics of this show, because I will never do it if this man is not next to me on the screen if you see this on youtube if you don't hear his voice on the poppings because i love him that much and i thank god every day that he is with me right now he is your friend and mine the iron stomach one mr wonderful but most importantly now i will call him mr frankenstein your friend and mine tommy wonder and you know tw for the seven that that listen loyally 
They know what's up. You want to talk about it? That's up to you. But I just wanted to stay in here for the seven loyalists that listen to us week in and week out. I ain't doing this show without you. Because I love you that right. much, brother. I, uh, you didn't tell me I was going to need to wear my sunglasses for this show, man. <laughs> trying to make me cry here. You, you, you got me there. Because uh, uh, he called me Frankenstein before we recorded. And I was going to correct him and say Frankenstein. But uh, okay. Frankenstein. Uh, yeah, you just, you just got me there. I got to compose myself here. So... I am glad to be here, man. I, I, it was, uh, it was a rough night and it was, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that still hasn't completely sunk in. Um, and you know, I'll, if people watching, if you're ready, here's the Freakenstein right here. It's about 50 to 60 stitches in my dome. I was already having a hard enough time getting the ladies. Now, nah, hopefully Shane Falco was right. Chick stick scars, but yeah, I'm sure it'll heal somewhat. But it's uh, it's definitely uh, something I'm gonna look at and 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 not as a bad thing, but as is a reminder that I made it and um, some other people didn't. And uh, definitely uh, something I would never wish on anybody. It was such a surreal, surreal experience. I've been in a many car accidents. Uh, a couple where my car didn't make it, and. Uh, I don't know if the people that were in it, I think they were okay. I don't know why I was informed. Oh, I wasn't informed. I just found out. But, uh, yeah, it was cold. And it was, uh, it was, like, you're right. I, you're run, ironically, you, you, you're the lost for words. It's okay. You don't no, have I, to I, go no, into it detail. I'm trying to, no, 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 for sure. I'm just going to say this. I drive for my job. And... Recently, the night before I got in this car accident, I had a dream that I was driving the car I had before it through a parking garage and just taking cars out and kept going, like, you know, scraping up, trading paint, if you will. And uh, so it was weird to have a car accident the next day. It wasn't really a premonition because it was not even close to similar what happened in the dream. But I, I often look down at my steering wheel and at the uh, steering wheel of my, of my work vehicle and, and think, Man, the, the airbag has to come out of this thing, right? Like, mm -hmm. and I used to always think, man, I bet that hurts like hell when that cap pops off for the airbag to come out. Like, that's got to hit you first. And uh, that's the what gives you whiplash. Right, yeah. So the, the weirdest thing about it was when I came to a stop and I looked around, I, I, I'm going to tell Scott Demore's story. Um, this is where, this is why the seven people and you and me and Big Ray and Billy Ray and A-Track, this is why we all love wrestling. And this is a little, this is an actual story where when Scott Tamore and I were younger, I, this might even have been before I met him because Scott started wrestling at 16 years old. He was trained by the Canadian Destroyer, and uh, which is what the move is named after, by the way. PD was also trained by him. I was trained by him and Scott and Mickey Doyle. Um, so Scott fell asleep on the 401 in uh, Canada, maybe EC Row, but one of the highways, right? The freeways, like 94, mm -hmm. 75. And he fell asleep, and when he woke up, he was going towards the wall of the overpass. You know, like mm -hmm. when you're in the road, you go under it. If you're on the side of the road, it's a wall, you know, where the grass goes up the side and all that. Yeah. And so when he woke up and he was going for that wall, he jerked the wheel to get back out onto the freeway. And when he did that, he lost control that way. And then when he went to overcorrect, 
His Cherokee, ironically enough, the 90s one, I happened, my accident in 2015 Cherokee, his ass end went over, you know, ass over elbows, if you will. So his car flipped down the road with him in it, ass overhead and, and multiple. Like a, and like the was, movies, like this. Boom, boom, yeah, boom, 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 yeah, boom. yeah, but not sideways, not passenger oh. to driver side, ass mm-hmm. end to front end, front end to ass mm-hmm. end. And he was in it with no seatbelt, and he was pinging around inside that car. And uh, I don't think he shot out on that one. He actually had another accident with uh, our friends Gaza and Davey Dalton. They were they were going down to Atlanta to do WCW Saturday night, and Gaza fell asleep. And he flipped the car, and it was just sliding upside down. And Scott shot out the back of the hatchback and was sliding down 75 on his skin. You know, but none of them got seriously hurt. Davey Dalton lost a toe because he got ejected from the car. The moral of the story this time is wear your seatbelt, right? So anyhow, mm-hmm. Scott gets taken to the hospital because he's bouncing around this thing like the dryer with no seatbelt. And the doctor looks at him and says, hey, uh, what do you do for a living? And he's like, what do you mean? He goes, you shouldn't be here. Like most people in an accident like that are going to be tense and trying to grab at whatever to brace themselves because they're flipping around. Mm-hmm. And he says, and that's how you break your neck because once you're tense, once you hit something, it snaps instead of flexes. Right. Right. And he goes, so what do you do for a living? And Scott looked at the doctor and goes, uh, I'm a pro wrestler. And he goes, Oh, he goes, well, my friend, that means you're used to taking hits, right, and taking falls. And he says, yeah. He goes, professional wrestling saved your life tonight. Because had he not been used to tumbling and just went with it, he would have broke his neck easily. And when I got in my accident, for people watching, I was going this way, and this car came flying at me sideways. Driver's side hit my front end. Like, I didn't hit head on. Mm-hmm. And when it hit, it caused me to go this way. And that's how I hit my head was on the frame of the door and my arm, my hip. I had a big bruise on my thigh. All that hit the door. So I didn't see that it was a car until, like, it went past me. And I was like, what the heck is that? I look over. And bam, I I never had a chance to tense up. Had I tensed up, when I hit my head, I would have broke my neck. But because... Mm. I just went with it. I hit my head and just flopped right back down to the seat. And when I was in the hospital, they checked my neck and my spine over and my back over and over because they could not believe how I hit my head that I didn't have any other, you know, damage to the neck or back. My back's sore, but it's not, you know, nothing up here. And uh, so it's one more. It's, thing it's very, it's very intriguing. It's very intriguing. You say that pro wrestling saved your life and Scott Demore's life because you you knew how to take the fall within the car. Well, it's and just a normal it. thing to get to take yeah. a hit. It's just mm-hmm. just like boom, boom, and like I instead of bracing for it. But it's a combination of not having time to brace for it. Because mm-hmm. you know, like most people would have grabbed their steering and like, here we go. I never <clears> even knew it was a car until I was like, what in the hell is going? Boom. And then it was like, oh, okay, I'm in an accident. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never, I was just relaxed as far as how I am. I, I'm just relaxed all the time. Uh, one thing, and I, I credit it to wrestling too, is, you know, you live in the same weather I live in and go into people's houses for my job. Some people don't shovel. They don't salt. And, and you're walking, I call it my C-3PO walk. I walk, you know, like this. Walk in the cold and the ice and the snow and all and that cold shit. Cold and the ice and I walk 
preparing to fall, hoping not to. And uh, mm-hmm. I know to tuck my chin. I know not to reach back. I know not to put your arms out. You fall like this. But anyways, um, there's a lot of times where I slip. And because I slip, I catch myself because of wrestling, because mm-hmm. of, you know, just whatever. And so it, it, wrestling has, has done a lot more for me than otherwise, like broken bones and, and, and a battered body, but in multiple probably other concussions. But it's just, it's just ironic to me that, you know, soon, as soon as they kept asking me about my neck, I just thought of that Scott DeMore story. Because, I mean, we were in our 20s when that happened. And, and, it, and I believe it happened before I met him. So he might have been, I mm-hmm. believe he was 19 when I met him. And I was 20 when he met me. And then I turned 21. But he's a year younger than me, which is odd to say he trained me to wrestle. But he got in the business at 16. So that's what you do. And by the way, Reflection Nights on the Pod Beans, and if you see this on the YouTubes, he did not know I was going to talk about this. This was not planned. I want, I purposely did this because he deserves at least the. You want to see realism here on the PWR podcast? He didn't. He wasn't prepared for it. You know, I didn't know if he wanted to talk about it. It was just up to him. And like I said, I let him. But I just want to say, TW here, love you, brother. You love know, you like too, I said, man. never. I won't even do this podcast with new people. That's that's just the way it is. It's just we've we've been together. It was me, you, T Volts, Ray, Ryan K. Bowman. Then it filtered down and down and down. And we had the three-man team of JB, but then he joined the Kiss My Ass Club of Tony Khan and Vince McMahon. And now we're back to the two twosomes. Billy Ray. Never, we had Billy Ray. We had Billy Ray for a sub here and there, Gooch. but Gooch. Gooch filled in for you. But again, and you, man, Gooch did one. And I did the and I did the professor's uh, perspectives, you know, retrospectives. But I can't do it without you. That's the way I feel. And if, cheers, you know, cheers. I wish I had a glass. You know, I, if I had this my uh, Travis Volts turned me on to this in North Dakota. It's called Bubbler. It's it's five calories and it's immune support, low glycemic, gluten free, soy free, vegan energy drink that doesn't have all that stuff that the Red Bull that I drink on a regular basis has. Do, do me a favor when we when I have the Podbean link, tag yeah. them and say we want you to sponsor yes. the PWR podcast do it. so we can get do some it. money. You know, we can get do a couple it. of dimes here and there. But let's do, let's do what we do best. You know, pro wrestling saved TW's life. Now pro wrestling will save your life here because <laughs> I have picked a very unique Show, and the reason I say it's unique reflection ice, you know, we do the spotlights, we do the robberies, we do the movies, we do all this stuff. But of, of course, you know, I go episodic. But this, I can't call this episodic, TW. But it is part of the Smoky Mountain Wrestling Organization that belongs to James E. Cornette. And you know how we do this, TW, and the reflection ice. We go front to back, side to side. We're not gonna go from the beginning to the end because the reason I want to start this show is two things. One, this is Smoky Mountains Wrestling's Bluegrass Brawl from April of 1993 in Pikeville, Kentucky. Now, Reflectionites, when I watched this, I didn't know what was happening in this show. I just saw Smoky Mountain Wrestling. I saw it was about a an hour and change show. I said, you know what? TW doesn't like me when I, I give him two-hour stuff. 
So uh, an hour and 50, you know, it, it's in that limit. It's in that range where TW doesn't get mad at me. Yeah, two hours can... is, is, is the four-hour one. Yeah, it, it's too brutal. much. It's, it's brutal. But I figured he could handle this. But that's neither here nor there. What got me, TW, before even we could even talk about this show and the wrestlers and the Forbidden Door and all this stuff, and he is holding up the WWE tag team titles and all the belts that he has. Reflection Nights, I kid you not, the heart. I hate that belt. I really do. I, I, I don't I've care. always said this. Is a, these are all kids' belts, by the way. Oh, either way, I hated that hardcore design. But anyway, TW, let's you know talk about the elephant in the room with the bluegrass brawl in Pikeville, Kentucky. This is the most racist <laughs> wrestling show I ever saw in my life. There's many reasons. There's many variables that I would say is racist. Number one, I would never have gone to the show unless you invited me because then I would feel safe. I feel in this fan base here that I would have to look over to my left, look over to my right, and might have to fight some white cracker-ass crackers. <laughs> I, I hate to say that, but it's true. Number two, TW, the opening. They did not play the national anthem because we're all Americans. Right. They opened the show, Reflection. I said, I kid you not, with my old Kentucky home. They started the Kentucky national anthem. I have no problem with playing your state anthem, CW, but they didn't play the national anthem. They, they secularized United States of America. They, they said... This was fuck Joe Biden before fuck Joe Biden became a thing. You did not want to play the national anthem. This this was liberalism. No, this is libertarianism. This is independence. I don't I don't know if I want to say conservative. And of course, because I don't know if I'd say libertarian. You can you can you can retort back. I'm I'm just just let me see. Let me just say what I saw. This is the way I visualize this. And number three. Of course, yeah, I have to talk about the wrestler, uh, Dixie's hero here, not Dixie Carter, but Dixie's hero, Kentucky's hero, the Confederacy's hero, is the wild-ass Southern boy, Tracy, Tracy Smothers. I got nothing against Tracy Smothers, T.W. He's I'm Italian. That, he's full-blooded he's a, Italian. It, well, of course he's full-blooded Italian <laughs> in ECW, but in, in, these, in this organization of Jim Cornette's, we talked about an old episode that we did of Smoky Mountain Wrestling with the gangsters being in Smoky Mountain. Jim Cornette catered to that white cracker ass cracker audience and he, you know, perpetuated certain images. And of course, Tracy Smothers perpetuated the Confederacy, the Confederate flag, and it was Confederate's hero and all that stuff. So I found this to be the most racist show, but I still enjoyed it. There's still certain aspects of this I loved about this Smoky Mountain Bluegrass Brawl, TW. But I wanted to point, you know, get the elephant out of the room. It was racist in some way, shape, or form. But I, I, I could watch it. I, I wasn't disgusted. I did not want to, you know, ban Jim Cornette. I didn't want to ban uh, uh, Smoky Mountain Wrestling. I didn't want to ban them out of YouTube, TW. I still watched it for the wrestling. But I still got to point out the obvious. What say you, TW, about this assessment? I would, I would, I would say back then in '93, I don't think anybody on the planet would have thought it was racist. This is hindsight's racism. I would say it's definitely not inclusive. If mm-hmm. I'm going to be woke and use the terms, um, I think, I think 
like because I I wrestled in Taylor, Michigan, and it wasn't on TV. And you cater to Taylor, Michigan. You're not from here. Detroit has a stigma. The suburbs have a stigma. Taylor is Taylor Tucky. Hazel Park is the northern version of Hazel Tucky, meaning mm-hmm. north of Detroit, Taylor Tucky south uh, west of Detroit, and so and and predominantly white these areas. But I guess for lack of a better description, Detroit's known for crime and it's urban and it's it's known as a black city where Taylor and Hazel Park would be the white versions, if you will, mm-hmm. of high crime, but it's white. Thus proving racism caused crime, fucking poorness causes crime, whether right. you're white, black, or, or whatever. Uh, but some people just can't figure that out for themselves. So there's there's white poor neighborhoods, there's black poor neighborhoods. Used to be or everybody as, poor. As the, as the, the term goes, trailer park trash when it comes right, to the white right. side. Go ahead, there's definitely know. some trailer parks in Taylor, Taylor, Taylor parks. But... If, if if Kentucky has that audience that is is all about the the stars and bars, if it's all about you're catering to them because you want them to come back. So I understand that. Just like Outcast wore that shit in Atlanta because mm-hmm. people in Atlanta were down with it. And even though people from the north think that flag means whatever it means to them, the people down in the south, sure, some of them it means. If we were the one, there wouldn't be slaves. I've seen. I think I told you this before. I saw. I just thought, wow, and it was Hank Williams Jr., his face in the middle of a Stars and Bars flag. Was it mm-hmm. gen- what the fuck's that flag called? Whatever uh, that bar. Yeah, I know what you're oh, talking about, but I, I don't. Which, is this Stars and Bars? Oh, glory. I don't know. But it, the Southern flag. His head in the, the middle. Confederate of the Confederate flag. Just say the Confederate flag. flag. Yes. So his head in the middle of the Confederate flag, and it says, we'd all be better off if the South had won. Now. <laughs> People will tell you that the war was over slavery. It was not. Slavery was added two years into the war to make people fucking in the South fight back against the South so that they could not be slaves anymore. That was Lincoln's move. But it was originally fought over taxation without representation. Carolinas made all the tobacco crops and all that, and New York tried taking all the money from it. So that's how it initiated, whatever. So, But if someone just walking the street, you see that, you think the absolute worst of it. And I just thought, dude... That dude's in Detroit with that flag. If he takes fucking a couple block walk, he's not making it home, right? Mm-hmm. But he was at the Hoedown, which was the largest outdoor free country concert in the country, was in Detroit called the Hoedown. Now it's been corporate and all that. You got to buy tickets to it and all that. But I digress. But Tracy Smothers, and again, to pull a Nate Madsen, Tracy Smothers, I got to meet him when I came back in 2010 to wrestle. I don't remember mm-hmm. when I met him, but I what I actually met him and I met Little Guido separately. And both of them could not have been nice to me. I talked about on here before how I met uh, Nature Boy Buddy. Um, Landell. Landell, tremendous human being. And you got to remember, when they're wrestling on a show with me, they're usually alone. So... You know what I mean? They could like Rikishi didn't talk to nobody. I walked up to him, shook my hand. I'll shake his hand. He looked up at me first, then shook my hand, and because that's how I was trained. You you walk around and you introduce yourself to everybody. The same night, no, it might have been a different night. That same night, Razor Ramon, Jake the Snake, Razor Ramon, Scott Hall, Jake the Snake, me and my buddy had a four person conversation where my buddy just sat there with his chin on the floor, and then when they went their way and I went my way, my buddy looked at me and goes, "Uh, dude, we just." 
we just had a conversation with Jake the Snake and Scott Hall. I go, I forgot this is new to you. Like, that's, yeah, he's like a kid in a candy store. And then an hour later, we're singing happy birthday to Scott Hall at Scott Demore's bar. And someone made him a cake that looked like Razor Ramon and had a razor blade on. It was a pretty awesome mm-hmm. night. Whereas that same venue, I was just telling a story to my uh, friend the other day. So the upstairs of this college is the gym, but you got to walk underneath it to get to the locker room. Kind of like uh, you go down this way and then you come up the other way to come to the ring. And as I'm walking back to the audience from the Mm -hmm. locker room, Kevin Nash is walking towards me and it's just me and him in this bowels of this basement heading towards opposite staircases. He literally sticks his hand out to me and says, Kevin, how you doing? Kevin Nash. And I stick my hand out, and I think I told this story before, the Great American Bash, Booker T did the exact same thing, and I had the exact same reaction. If we had thought bubbles, it would have said, no fucking kidding. But I didn't. I just thought, wow, what a he, – that guy didn't have to do that, and he did it. And he just stuck his hand out, introduced himself to me. So Kevin Nash, Booker T, I'll never forget them guys because, one, I was in their – back room you know their locker room the other one he was in ours but my point about tracy smothers is he's alone he he didn't travel with other people someone paid him to come there wrestle i'm sure he's hoping there's going to be someone else there he knows when he gets there you know but you know it's sad a lot of those guys god rest his soul tracy died but a lot of those guys are broke man especially a lot of guys we're going to talk about on this show Mm -hmm. they didn't save their money They didn't, they didn't make a lot of it either. I don't even know how D'Lo got signed to Smoky Mountain when I was friends with him. Like that's where he went first and then he made it up to WWF and he never really told me how the pay went. Again, look at the economics of 1993 TW. You know, this is Smoky Mountain Wrestling. You know, Jim Cornette is trying to build an organization. I don't know what his, let's say, five-year plan was. I'm going to look at it from the hindsight. Let's look at it from the hindsight. He wanted to create not only a developmental, but a great alternative for older veteran wrestlers to come down to Smoky Mountain, to come down to the Southern Wrestling Territories, and try to recapture a market that he felt. I'm going to say he. I'm not saying where, where the fans are because, again, some fans are still to me, a little bit loyalist to the WCW name, even though it, it was the NWA before that, but it still is WCW, so you're still holding you're holding on to what is still the NWA. I think some wrestling, some Southern wrestling fans still felt that way, so I don't know if they kind of gravitated towards uh, Smoky Mountain. That's just the way I look at it from a hindsight perspective, but I think Jim Cornette wanted to build a, a developmental uh, program here, have some of the veterans come down, make a little money here. Uh, of course, certain things here within Smoky Mountain Wrestling, I didn't know existed until I saw it on YouTube. And I'll get to that a little bit later because certain something happened in this fucking show that <laughs> caught my eye. I'm the professor of wrestling, and I didn't know this happened. And I'm going to give credit where credit is due, but I'll go, I'm going to talk about that a little bit later in the show, Reflection Guys. But TW... Again, you started in 94, 95-ish, so you know how the business, I don't want to say deteriorated, but until Bischoff changed changed the game, until Heyman changed the game of the indies, Bischoff changed the game of the mainstream, forcing Vince McMahon to do what he did to adapt by taking ECW's violence and Bischoff's realism to make the Attitude Era 
the, the business model was really different from the early 90s to the late 90s. What's ATW? Then we'll talk about the blue grass. 93 is arguably referred to as the worst year in WWE. Like, uh, for all the stuff people talk now, I finally saw somebody on Twitter today. They said, WWE is catering to 12-year-olds. And, like, even if they meant it as an insult to the guy they said it to, it, that is what it is. And in 93... That's right around the time anybody who hopped on in 84 is pushing 20 years old. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. you're older. And if you took 1993 and showed it to your 1984 self, you're probably all in. But, you know, it's it's just basically it's run its course. I knew in 93 when I started, tra I started training in December of 93, but I knew in December 93 to 94 when I made my debut, I knew – from you know you, you you learn under a guy like mickey doyle uh 1972 nwa rookie of the year and mm -hmm. the canadian destroyer and scott demore you you learn history as well as reading magazines and all that wrestling has always ebbed and flowed it's always been up and down up and down mm -hmm. meeting popularity and whatever and so uh it's i i, know, I just lost my train of thought but it, well, the, it, oh, ebb and flow and popularity. Ebb and flow and popularity. It's not popular. We know this. Right. Ninety three. That's, that's it's a, that's it's not given. good. People want to blame it on uh, steroids on and and going to Bret Hart and that was a failure or whatever. Which mm -hmm. how how is Bret a failure when Macho Man and Ric Flair are the same fucking size? So it it always bothered me that they blame because Sean. Didn't get good ratings when he was champion. I don't care what anybody says. Well, as long as I live, Bret Hart, to be Shawn Michaels, to be will be the to be fair here. Of all time. Yeah. To be fair here, I think you're going with the the, the visuals of of TV, but the business end is the lack of territory uh, awareness, well, no, no, no. the I, lack I, of, I was, of people getting work, makes it less popular, and and the fans, you know. I, and I, I would say that cable is starting to give you options. Right. Just like we're in 2020 Deuce, Reflectionites, where there's multiple streaming devices. People are watching things on the internet more than they're watching it on cable TV. Cable TV is becoming a dinosaur, TW. Right. People are leaving cable to just join, to have their Wi-Fis and just have streaming services. So we will never know the... we. We're going we're gonna to hear new metrics of streaming viewership numbers in comparison to television rating numbers, which will be a thing of the past. So in 1993, with cable being that in the Phoenix, everybody in their mother has a cable box. But the problem with that is wrestling, you know, made its money. I don't want to say made its money, but, you know, was alive with syndication, regular TV, local TV. And cable just didn't have that local TV aspect because everything, whatever you saw, and you know, if you was living in Los Angeles, nine times out of ten, depending on the company you're with, you're seeing the same shit that you saw that I had in New York. Just a little bit different with the the local news. Of course, you're not seeing. I'm not seeing LA local news, but you're seeing almost the same thing. TWs. That's that's the metrics of business in 1993. That's the, that's what I think. What say you, TW? Let's talk about this. I was getting to to answer your question. What I think Jim Cornette was doing. I mm -hmm. I don't think he gave two shits about building a developmental. Les Thatcher, however, because he had Ohio, Ohio Valley wrestling. I actually wrestled for him in Kentucky. Um, mm -hmm. 
I replaced D'Lo, of all people, because D'Lo was out of town because I think he had got signed. And so I went down with Crusher Klein and Casey Thunder and wrestled Casey Thunder in Kentucky in, in place of D'Lo. And, uh, but Les Thatcher was more of a guy who wanted to – he wanted to keep the business around. Jim Cornette wanted to keep Jim Cornette around. And so meaning dude's got to eat. I'm not knocking him for it. So what I think Cornette was trying to do with Smoky Mountain, and I just want to say this before we pick this show apart, I enjoyed it. And I enjoyed it in hindsight because when I watched it, I am not a Kevin Sullivan guy. But one of the first things is an interview with him, and it felt like the shit that we watched when we were kids, man. It felt mm-hmm. like, you know, um, it real. felt like 80s. It felt, re- it felt like 80s NWA wrestling. That because, yeah. of course, or UWA. Jim Cornette. Or, mm-hmm. or Mid-South or World Class. Like, I appreciate that stuff a lot more now than I would have then because mm-hmm. WWE and WCW had the pomp and circumstance and the, the graphics and everything. <laughs> Every time I see that Smoky Mountain logo, I think, did someone's fucking grandkid make, did Dutch Mantel's grandkid make that? It looks like a patch quilt, you know, whatever. But anyhow, I think Cornette was trying to build a town. And I'm pretty sure he lives in Kentucky somewhere. Mm-hmm. So he was probably he was built from Louisville, but I don't know if he, he still lives there. He probably knows he still has ties to Vince to come in and do whatever he's going to do because he was with Yokozuna. He, he was every now and again, he'd have the heavily bodies there. Um, but yeah. that might have been a little bit after 93. But by building this territory, I think he was trying to do a territory again. And I'm going to equate this to country music with the South, why they are the ones that still held on to, like you said, to the NWA and territory style um, because it's probably not the same anymore. But a few years ago, remember how you said TV ratings are gone and it's more about streamings and all that? Mm-hmm. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, or 2000 even, let's go to 2000. The Backstreet Boys sold 2 million records on day one on their mm-hmm. way to selling whatever they sold that week, like six million, whatever. Cause you got all the diehards that had to have it on day one. And then by the rest of the week, it ended up being like six, 7 million. It was the record. If you sell a hundred thousand CDs on Tuesday or fr- it's Friday. Now it used to be Tuesday on Friday. If our album drops and we sell 150,000 copies of it, we're the number one album in the country because of streaming. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you know what almost always is that album? That's number one every week. What country because mm. southern people do not adapt to technology the way city people do, right? Like, country they mm-hmm. still go buy CDs, they don't stream, they don't Apple Music or Amazon Prime. They well, they did well, buy. technically, they did they did adapt because they bought a CD, they should buy a track or they should buy a cassette tape. They might still be buying cassettes because cassettes oh, okay. and CDs were counted together, and so they stopped. Oh, making okay. them. So, okay. yeah. For sure, they but they want they want the tangible object in their hand. So mm-hmm. by having built Kentucky, whatever city they were in, I don't know if it was Ashland, but it was somewhere around there. If if you build that town, like for example, Starcade being on Thanksgiving night, that was fucking tradition for people. They ate earlier their Thanksgiving dinner so the whole mm-hmm. family could go down and watch Starcade before it was even televised. It was just it was the local event. So that's why, to me, when the WWE brought it back, when they had the roads on there, or they tried to, whatever the hell they did in North Carolina, that was its, its origin. Was just That was the show on Thanksgiving mm-hmm. every year in that state. It, maybe not that right. city, but somewhere in that vicinity. So 
Kentucky, especially at 93, everyone doesn't have cable yet. You and I have only had it for about five years now, four or five years. And so people who love the feeling of going to the wrestling show want something to go to. And if you come back, I, I never understood how world class could be every Friday night and draw what they drew, but it was habitual. People did it every Friday. It's no different than everyone going to watch a high school football game. If you love it, you love it. You're all in. Eventually you're right. going to outgrow it. Um, hopefully that window where like, if I had sons, my kids want nothing to do with wrestling. They'll watch it to appease it. But they're girls, you know, even I'm not saying girls don't watch wrestling. My girls don't watch wrestling. If I had mm-hmm. a son, he'd probably look at this room. He'd probably watch me wrestle and he'd probably want to do it too. And me and him would be going to wrestling shows and, and mm-hmm. it would be the legacy. Like I did right. it when I was a kid. Now you're going to do it and then your kid will do it and all that. So I think that's the Southern is the traditional stuff. Whereas us in the city, first of all, does Kentucky have any professional sports teams? Nope. There's the Kentucky Col- Thoroughblades. Right. College. But it's football. Basketball. It's football. Well, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm going to forget damn Kentucky Wildcats. But um, but we got, most of us, all four major sports. You got mm-hmm. multiple teams. In we got op- you're saying we got options. Of course, the city, city force got options. And, you know, Southern folks Northern hold folks on to their, yeah. to their traditions. And wrestling was one of the traditions. You are absolutely correct. So, I and, but I think he did the TV. Because it was a way to make ad revenue and also get other eyes on the product to mm-hmm. get more people from Kentucky to come there who thought, yeah. oh, shit, there's Kentucky wrestling again. I'm going to go there. That's why it's almost I, – I, when um, – I don't know who – if it was Tomasa Ciampa, somebody recently said – oh, it was Braun Breaker, I think, said they're going on tour again. And I was excited to hear that because – for them to be in Orlando every single week, they shouldn't be on USA Network. We've talked about this. It's it's mm-hmm. not USA Network stuff. It was better when it was on the network. I think it was better when it was one hour. Uh, other than takeovers, takeovers, it, it, it was special because it was their pay per view basically. Um, mm-hmm. So them touring again. But if you're going to be in Kentucky and you're going to be on local television, because I didn't get to watch Smoky Mountain, it would have had to been syndicated or tape traders or whatever like that. So it wasn't like he was on WGN or USA or whatever those guys were. TBS. On, you know? Well, no, TBS had WCW and USA. I don't, I don't think USA had. Yeah. USA no, I'm talking had, about, I'm talking about like Smoky Mountain wasn't on the big network. No, no, I'm cable. saying they didn't find another station like right. war or, oh, or okay. WGN that could be mm-hmm. in, on cable. Cause oh, okay. like gotcha. WGN and war are local channels in Chicago but they mm-hmm. got syndicated through cable. I want to say yeah. TBS and TNT. Now, TNT, they created. TBS, if you're in Atlanta, it's like a 247. It's a channel without mm-hmm. cable down there. And so that's that's what I mean. They were just on a local channel. They got freaking Biff's Barbecue and Joey Joe's fucking Cadillac dealership sponsoring them. And not, uh, and not knocking it. Th- that place, no, that no. armory was sold out with 500 people, maybe 1,000 people the most. Not... And but it's still a pain. TV. Didn't they have local TV down there? Yeah. Dallas, yeah, uh, so, Texas local TV. Yeah. And then they got syndicated to ESPN by the time it was going out of business. But now let's get into this. You know, Smoky Mountain, 1993 TW. And, of course, Jim Cornette. We can, like, debate about what his intentions were. But Jim Cornette was not a stupid man. He knew he had to get faces 
that were recognizable, faces that were recognizable not only on cable TV, but also the after mag. So TW, opening the show, you, you talked about Les Thatcher, but also they opened with the voice of Mid-South Wrestling, Lance Russell. So, you know, of course, we've heard this term like Tony Khan invented it, and it's so much bullshit, the forbidden door. No, the forbidden door has always happened. It's been renamed so many different ways, TW. I've called it the open door policy. I've called it the working relationship. But neither here nor there, TW, but having Lance Russell, the voice of Mid-South Wrestling, Jerry Lawler's Wrestling, USWA, whatever you want to call it, that is breaking kayfabe walls or breaking the fourth wall if you will. Stealing talent. Stealing talent. And, of course, in this show, you had a guy from uh, Mid-South, the Mongolian Stopper, in this show. You had a guy from UWF NWA days, Tim Horner. You had an up-and-coming guy. And we'll talk about the matches, TW. I just want to name some names. You had an untapped potential who became in WWF Adam Bomb, who became Brian Clark Wrath in WCW, but he was the Night Stalker here. So, and then of course you talk about Kevin Sullivan. WCW's Kevin Sullivan made an appearance. You had Arn Anderson make an appearance. You had beautiful Bobby Eaton from WCW make an appearance. The Forbidden Door TW has always been there, but you know, a lot of the AEW fanboys, you know, Either they have amnesia, their heads were, you know, they got your scars, but, you know, their memories are just eroded that everything just started happening in 2020. What's, what say you, TW? School the masses. Well, then you also have, I mean, I don't know how many of these, I know UWF wasn't around anymore. I was going to ask you, because they had Bobby Eaton and Arn Anderson to these matches as opponents, and... 93, isn't that right around the time Bobby Eaton and Arn Anderson were a tag team? Uh, 92. Oh, so it was after? Yeah. I was thinking mm -hmm. they formed after this. So they were a tag team before this, and then he was with Larry Zimbisco. They were the enforcers or whatever. 91, that was, that was yeah. That was not the year before that. So it was, mm -hmm. it was, uh, it was cool to see that. Um, primetime Brian Lee. It's funny because that promo he started the show with was the first time I think I ever heard him talk. And I thought, oh, he was perfect to imitate The Undertaker because they didn't let him talk because he wasn't that good at it. <laughs> and he reminded me of – he looked like like Lex Luger's before picture mm -hmm. uh, build-wise. Like like if he just – if he didn't do nutrition on top of weightlifting. Because he, he was in good shape, but he, he just – he looked like a guy that probably – like Bradshaw who played – college and high school football so he just had that built naturally but didn't mm -hmm. do the the whatever you want to call he it he put the work rate in yeah right he didn't do the luger to get the he was luger without abs or real <laughs> pecs right yeah but then he had bobby eaton's hair and i was like man what a bad combination he, he reminded me of who would be your top baby face in uwf or in world class for sure right like mm -hmm. He had that. Uh, what was Jeff Gaylord with blonde hair? You know, but Jeff Gaylord was that a dude little was bit more buff. buff. He was yeah, he, he was, was more buff like the Warrior, Steve Strong. Um, mm -hmm. Those guys were jacked, you know. Um, and Gaylord was Memphis. He was actually I found this out recently. He was one of the King's three knights who ended up in Shawn Michaels' knights because mm -hmm. the King the King had uh, sexual harassment out of the Me Too movement started with him in 1990, whatever. But uh, anyhow. Um, 
it was cool to see all that. It was weird. We'll talk about it when the match, but it was weird. Like, like Bobby Eaton being paired with who he was paired with, it blew my mind because I'm like, that is, that's awesome. Like, it's Midnight Express Heavenly Bodies. Like, it's, mm-hmm. and it's I. It's dream I, matches already happening and nobody really knows this. That's- and I wish, I wish the Rock and Roll Express would have added Dennis Condry if he was still going or, uh, Jimmy Del Rey was that Den- Jimmy? They were the other Midnight Express, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Who was also a heavenly no, that, body. the other Heavenly Bodies? Yeah, the other Heavenly Bodies. Who you talk about our ravishing Randy Rose? That was the other Midnight. Oh, Express. okay, yeah, but but mm-hmm. but but it was it. But the other Forbidden Door was because I think Continental might have been done by now. But Robert Fuller and Jimmy Golden are Continental Wrestling, um, which mm-hmm. I think is Arkansas. Was that? That's where Sean Alabama Michaels and Marty. Yeah. That's where Sean and, and Marty met was in Continental. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's funny because this is 93, and I'm looking at Jimmy Golden going, man, is that – nah, that's not him. And then in the match, I saw him selling. I'm like, holy shit, a year and a half later, two years later, because it was summer of 95, I met him. He was Bunkhouse Buck, which made me think everybody gives Vince McMahon shit for renaming people. What purpose did they need to change Jimmy Golden to Bunkhouse Buck? Or the black top bully. Why couldn't he just been Barry Darso? Why couldn't he came back as Crusher Crusoe? So to, to quote, awesome. wait, 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 wait. I have to at least retort. I will answer that question. To quote the great Mel Brooks from Spaceballs, merchandising. It's always about merchandising. Right, but I'm saying nobody gave them shit for renaming guys, but they give McGann shit all the time. Well, we just don't know that because social media was not at a premium like it is right now in the 2020s, TW. But let's get – we won't talk about the squash match. I don't want to talk about Mongolian Stopper, but I will acknowledge that he – of course, we know the Mongolian Stopper reflectionized from the 70s and the 80s. He had wars with Jerry the King Lawler, but, of course, he was there for a name. And the funny thing about the Mongolian Stopper here is I felt sorry for the jobber because the Mongolian Stopper got a standing ovation, Reflectionites. So this is ass backwards thinking. Even for Kentucky <laughs> TW, you're supposed to boo the bad guy and right. cheer the good guy. But when the Halloween theme music came off of Mongolian Stopper, they cheered. They were counting down to the ass whooping, and then they cheered when he won. So I just wanted to point that out. So you don't have to talk about that. That was that was nothing. And I'm not going to talk about Tim Horner versus the Night Stalker, but I do want to talk about that one. You do? Okay. Well, let me just say this. this. Let me just say. Okay. Let me just say this, because it builds to the program with Kevin Sullivan and primetime Brian Lee. So they these four people clash probably in, on Smoky Mountain Television, Reflection Nights, and TW. So. The let's just say the undercard is Tim Horner against the Night Stalker, aka Adam Bomb. And TW, I guess you can see the untapped potential in what Vince McMahon sees in the Night Stalker. The name has always been mis over I'm not gonna say misused, overused, because I can name like about 20 Night Stalkers. Right. Some of them are jobbers, some of them are territorial bad guys that just stayed in the territories. So, of course, you knew that Vince McMahon was looking at him. He scouted him, or maybe Bruce Pritchard scouted him, or Pat Patterson, if he, you know. Or Cornette uh, called him and said, I got this guy. Or that, that too, Cornette said, I got this guy. So, he became Adam Bomb. So, TW, you know, again, you even said, why change Jimmy Golden to uh, Bunkhouse Buck? So, I guess you got to answer your own question. Why change the Night Stalker look into Adam Bomb? Because Adam Bomb 
I mean, if you look at two characters, because there's a couple of people I will talk about later in the show, but Adam Bomb, the look, I like the gear of Adam Bomb, don't get me wrong, but Adam Bomb just hadn't, who is Adam Bomb? At least the Night Stalker, when you're, when you're named the Night Stalker, TW, call me cynical, call me like weird, but I understand what the Night Stalker is. He's a bad guy, I'm supposed to be afraid of him as a viewing audience member. He is, he's a threatening menace to your, to the baby face. What the fuck does an atom bomb do to me? It just he's, doesn't. He's explain. nuclear, but it, wasn't he Adam, like A-D-A-M, like Adam Cole bomb? Or was he I don't Adam know how bomb? they, I don't know if they spell the A-T-O-M or A-D-A-M. That's kind of weird, but I'm going to go with A-T-O-M. I'm going to try, I'm going to Google it right now. But I will tell you this, and I, I will stick to this as long as I live. Mm -hmm. I think Adam bomb to me is is a guy that they did they wasted because as a night stalker i'm sure some simpleton like dutch mantel or one of them southern bunkins gave him that name like oh you look you're a big tall dude you're dark you'd be the night stalker kevin Sullivan. um it's the it name that keeps growing it is a-t-o-m bomb so okay no it says atom bomb with a-d-a-m it looks like it's i think that they probably did both. They tried to do one way and then the other way. Because Adam Bomb is literally a garbage pail character. It's the one where the head's blowing up on the package, right? Okay, That yeah. was Adam Bomb. So I would think it was Adam Bomb. And then they turned to Babyface and he threw those little footballs in the audience. But you had to remember, it was 93, 94 when he was there, and they gimmicked him up to sell merchandise. He was a heel first. He had the steampunk goggles before Becky Lynch. Um, he just had, to me... An absolutely tremendous look, and he wasn't terrible. Like a lot of big dudes are terrible. They're not fluid in the ring. They're they're don't know what the like. Sid Vicious, God bless him. I love him. He got better, but early on, especially as Sid Justice, the dude would just blatantly tell a guy to take a move and not even try to hide it when, when he mm -hmm. was right. Go now or whatever he would say, and but he got better. And uh, Adam Bomb, I think, was adequate from day one he had an awesome look to me he was on par with razor ramon because that's another stupid name if you're being honest but he no i don't think i was stupid i thought i thought that was a a, a very clever name for a well, heel so is adam bomb so is i don't adam think bomb. So, i but, think i think we could go so back and forth tw provides as long as he, i think they turned adam bomb babyface it wasn't he with harvey whippleman that that already ruins them, right? That's a Bobby Heenan guy. He's a whole other conversation. You put him with mm -hmm. Harvey Whippleman or or whatever, even with, if he's with Fuji, you put him with someone that people love to hate. You don't put him with somebody that people just can't wait till he's off your TV. And God bless Bruno. I met him a million times because he was always around the Canadian shows, downtown Bruno. That's Harvey mm -hmm. Whippleman. God bless him, but he wasn't over. He was he was tolerated, if you will. And, I mean, he probably has a great mind for the business and, and knew what he was doing, but the fans did not love to hate him. They were indifferent to him. And that, I think, held Adam Baum back. But I think his gear, his look, he stood out. He didn't look like anybody else. Um, the only thing I didn't like was he wore them stupid gloves like he was a garbage man or, or uh, working with Well, you acid. said the, the nuclear gloves right, to, you right. know, to if, grab the I acid. I would have got rid of them because it probably had to hem him up when he was wrestling, having them big, bulky-ass, sloppy gloves on. But let, I, me, I, I let me ask you this question, TW. Let's go back into this match because he faced a 
quote-unquote solid hand in White Lightning Tim Horner. Of course, that's racist because, of course, the white people, right, cracker-ass crackers love that name, White Lightning. What? Why has it got to be white? Why can't he just be the Lightning Man? But anyway, Lightning Express. Neither, neither here nor there. But anyway, I'm just born on a tangent tag rant. team champions. Of Brad course, Strong. a Brad tangent Strong. rant. But he's a, he's a great hand, a, a wily veteran to give this young upstart the, the the rub if you will to to perform and of course Tim Horner being being that local guy for the territories he gets the win and and what I kind of loved about this match is like you said it goes back to your your childhood because it was very slow a lot of these matches are very slow methodical but I I kind of want to say psychological I paced. think they knew it was paced very slowly but very carefully if you will. And the nice stalker, he could have made a lot of fucking, he could have done a lot of fuck-ups, a lot of botches. But, of course, Tim Horner kind of, like, held his hand, led him to it. You know, the, the ending was kind of funky, but I'll, I'll give it to him because the, the fans were happy the with Bill it. Bill Watts rule. The, yes, the Bill Watts rule. I hate the over-the-top rope rule. You know, that that's kind of stupid. But, of course, it protects, quote-unquote, the nice stalker to be and that. And it makes sense later on. It didn't make sense to me when it happened. It made right. sense to me later on. So you're you're seeing the nice stalker here. You know about Adam Bomb. You know about Wrath and Brian Clark, whatever you, whatever you want to call him. Chronic, chronic man. But you know, he held his own. Oh, you can see what Vince McMahon saw. You can see what Eric Bischoff sees to sign this guy. He's got a look. He's got a presence. But he needed better. He needed the performance center, or he needed the right, PowerPoint right. to have. Classes and he needed more reps of promo classes. He needed reps to look. He needed to look in the mirror a lot more so he can give himself a gimmick. What say you, TW, about this match and, and the, anything the about Adam? The reason I want to talk about this match was actually Tim Horner because Tim Horner with Brad Armstrong was like almost like the fourth knockoff of the Rock and Roll Express, right? You had the Rock and Roll mm -hmm. Express, you had the Rockers, you had the Fantastics, and then you had White or uh, Lightning Express. Lightning Express, right? So. Mm -hmm. um, so it was almost like it was the, the 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 idea was two pretty boys together. Brad Armstrong to me, uh, both Brad and Tim Horner ended up in the WWF. Brad was a Rackman man in WCW. He's Bad Street, um, and he was just Brad Armstrong in WWF. And they would put him over every now and again. But he was almost in around ninety three, ninety four is when all that Rad Radford and Dirty White Boy became T L Hopper and the Goon. All that stuff happened around ninety three, ninety four, ninety five. Tim Horner was kind of that before they made gimmicks for the guys. Like, he would win if he was mm -hmm. against another jobber on, like, primetime wrestling. But on Saturday morning, he, he jobbed out to whoever the heel was, right? And I always thought he looked small. And this might be something that I've said before on the show, but maybe I haven't, and, and I will explain it to you now. A WWE ring is 20 by 20. A Mid-South ring, a WCW ring, a Smoky Mountain ring, was 16 by 16, sometimes 18 by 18. I wrestled in a 20 by 20 ring for Les Thatcher. It was a full stride longer running rope to rope, and that's how I kicked Casey Thunder in his head and mm -hmm. left a piece of my boot in it because I couldn't find his ass because of the lights and the white canvas. But that's mm -hmm. another story. Uh, so Tim Horner in this ring does not look small like he does in the WWF ring. And he's in there against a guy like Adam Baum, who is a big dude who never looks small in a WWF ring. And I like that because I look at him and I like, look at, look at Tim Horner here. Like here, 
he's on par with Macho Man, Bret Hart, Ric Flair, and guys like that size-wise. But for whatever reason, when he was in a WWF ring, he he felt like he was Taka Mishinuku, uh Joe Furness or whatever, LaFond. Like I, I, put him in, I put him in the lines of Brooklyn Brawler and Barry Horowitz when I look no, at no, Tim Horton there. No, I don't mean there. skill level. I mean oh, size. Okay. Like Macho Man against Hulk Hogan. I just watched Bret Hart against uh, shit. It, it, Bret Diesel. was in there. Was, it, was, it wasn't it was Diesel. It was someone a little bit bigger than, than Bret but smaller than Diesel. It, it might have. Shit. It wasn't Bader? Hogan. It was somebody. Sid? It was. No, because Sid's bigger than – it might have been Undertaker, which is odd to say because he might be bigger than Kevin Nash. But mm. he did not look small. Like, they were fighting each other, and I thought, why? what the fuck? Why was he always had the stigma of being small? It was believable that he would do what he was doing to the Undertaker. And in mm-hmm. time, if the Undertaker, like a good big man beats a good little man every time, it's a Bobby Heenan line. Yeah, as the match goes on, Bret Hart gets just battered, obviously, his – his damage is higher because Undertaker's bigger. But if he's smart and he sweeps legs and he knocks you off your feet and he does all that, it makes sense. Tim Horner against Adam Bomb in WWF would have been a squash match. Tim Horner against the Night Stalker here was a nice little competitive match with a shitty ending. But both of those guys ended up being in the next match as mm-hmm. corner guys. And right. it made more sense. Like, you didn't want... That guy, WWF, he would have just lost, and it would have been one more reason why him and Kevin Sullivan had heat because he couldn't beat Tim Horner and then also cost Kevin um, mm-hmm. his deal. But but it was it was good to see Tim Horner in there with a guy much, much bigger who basically it made me think, man, like Tim Horner is what you would call, like Tim, uh, Travis always says, a good hand. Like there's a reason he had a long career. Because you could put him in there with anybody, and he right. could make Ric Flair shine. He could make Adam Bomb shine. He could make he could shine. So and and I really enjoyed the Lightning Express matches and the UWF, and they I believe they were tag champs. But I think they came in after the Fantastics went back to WCW NWA, and then Probably the Lightning did. Express were formed. But I just I really I think this is the match I appreciated the most because it other than the finish, it was a throwback. To you know, like that was one thing I think I liked about WCW Saturday Night more than Superstars and Challenge. Superstars and Challenge would every now and again have a match where it'd be two guys where you didn't know who was going to win, but most of the time it was squash matches. WCW Saturday Night, there was more competitive matches on WCW Saturday Night. They they protected their job guys. You didn't realize they were job guys because. Every now and again, they would beat another job guy. So then you thought, okay, mm-hmm. like George South was one. Um, not George Scott. George Young? No, George Young. Scott. No, no, George, no, George Scott. South was that little hippie burnout dude. I'm talking about the Gary Young. Gary Young. Oh, okay. He ended up, he was a referee in like world class. Then he started wrestling and did jobs for the NWA. And then he ended up being a top heel in the GWF. He was mm-hmm. a Gary Young was a top heel in the GWF. And so guys like that were Gary Young lost every single time he was on WCW Saturday night, but I never knew it. And then I, I you know, I didn't keep track, um, but it was competitive. And whereas if Adam bomb was a Tim Horner on Saturday superstars, Tim Horner would have got a duck, a duck, and then took in a clothesline that made him do a flip. That would have been mm-hmm. his offense is two ducks. So it yeah. I was happy to see this match. I was happy to see this match too in a, in a different light, but again, I, it paled in comparison to the storyline for the next match, 
It was a Russian roulette match between Kevin Sullivan and primetime Brian, Brian Lee. And, of course, I think a lot of, I think, pundits, I think the aftermags really looked at primetime Brian Lee, TW. Maybe you could correct me. I, I stopped, like, reading the magazines right. in, the, in, like, 1990. But correct me if I'm wrong. Did, did, did the magazines really, like, prop up primetime Brian Lee as the next big thing of the 90s? Like, they really saw money or they saw something? Because everywhere I've seen primetime Brian Lee, even in ECW, they propped him up, even the, his look. He was a big fucking deal. And, of course, I saw him in, as the fake Undertaker and, of course, DOA and WWF. I wasn't really gauged with him. But seeing all these YouTubes, they, every booker looked at Brian Lee as a heavyweight champion. Every booker looked at Brian Lee as some, either could be like Lex Luger, you know, book smarter and make more money or something like that. T-W. Am I wrong or am I looking at Because he had a look. If, if that guy would have dieted and, and shred himself up, he would have been mm-hmm. another Luger. And unlike Luger, I'm going to assume Brian Lee came up a wrestling fan. Lex Luger okay. went to wrestling because football didn't pan out, right? So mm-hmm. Luger didn't have the love for it, therefore he didn't get it. He got it eventually. He didn't get it early on. Brian Lee always got it. I For some reason, my memory is telling me Brian Lee, and I can't remember if it was Robert Fuller or someone like that, and it wasn't Tim Horner, because that's who was the team in this show. But Brian Lee used to be with someone else. Maybe it was uh, Austin Idol or Rod Rod Thorne. Rod, no, Rod Thorne used to be with Steve Austin. They used to have a, they were a tag team. Rod, mm-hmm. Rod Thorne, is that his name? Rod Price. Rod, Rod Price. Rugged mm-hmm. Rod Price. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what the fuck Rod Thorne. But anyway, I just remember primetime Brian Lee, he was with another big blonde guy. And it was... They were Continental or Memphis or whatever, and then they worked their way up. But the guy had a good look. Like, like I always say it. Like, it's 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 just gonna sound weird. There's no way to ungay this. But like <laughs> Lex Luger from the waist down, you have tights, you know, like briefs, mm-hmm. huge legs, the knee pads with usually that brace underneath it. Then, <laughs> then Go ahead. the boots. Then the mm-hmm. boots. And it just it looked like a wrestler. So let me let me let me use my good man Lex. Lex doesn't have the knee braces here, but see this look right here, right? Mm-hmm. That just looked like a wrestler, especially if you were in shape. Brian Lee had that, and then his upper body, he just wasn't ripped like this. Lex Luger, no, he, he definitely was like He Man. Mm-hmm. Brian Lee looked like a biker who happened to get to be six foot seven or whatever. But you got to remember, this is the bottom line. He was a big man who was in shape and blonde. It wasn't mm. anything else than everyone always was looking for the next Hulk Hogan. But none of those guys had what Hulk Hogan has, and that's charisma in fucking spades. The dude just has it. Like, we were talking I, I, before. Here's the thing with, with Brian Lee. And even in this match, but I'm not talking about this match itself. I'm just talking about the character primetime Brian Lee, T.W., when I look at this look that he has here, he doesn't look no different than Dangerous Danny Spivey in 1986 circa. You know, when he was that golden boy, Danny Spivey. Was a replacement for Barry Windham. In right. The, uh, so it wasn't trying to find the next Hulk Hogan to me. 
they were trying to find the next Barry Windham. That's the way when you when you get Danny Spivey and then you get into Brian Lee. He's bad. I would he's disagree. I disagree because Barry Windham wore them Dusty Rhodes boots and Danny Spivey wore them big ass furry boots. So I don't. I I think you have two prototypes of guys who guys are trying to replace. Everyone wanted their Hogan and everyone mm-hmm. wanted their Magnum TA. I think Luger falls into the Magnum TA category, but also the Hogan because he was a tall blonde. Right. But I, I I think Hogan. Of course, everybody's trying to be the. I'm not denying the Hogan thing. I'm just saying, like, for what the look of of Brian Lee, he just doesn't. He looks like Danny Spivey, who wanted to look like Barry Windham and all right. that stuff. That's that, that's the way I go with this. And TW in this match against Kevin Sullivan, Kevin Sullivan's job is to get primetime Brian Lee over. He's the younger guy here. He's he has more not leverage in Smoky Mountain, but prime. T- there's more investment with primetime Brian Lee reflection ice. And this was a Russian roulette match. And it, it got, and this is spin the wheel, make the deal reflection ice, layman's terms. So they spun their wheel, and it turned into a Singapore spike match, TW. There was four boxes in four corners, and you had to pick the box with the Singapore spike reflection ice. So, and, of course, like you said, TW, Tim Horner was was in primetime Brian Lee's corner. And, of course, the Night Stalker, Adam Baum, was in Kevin Sullivan's corner. So, TW, you might be shocked that I'm going to say this because I don't want to rail on this match. I actually enjoyed the match. Who's that? That's the Warrior? Uh, the Ultimate Warrior with the with the the, the sachets and, and stuff on his legs, yes. But, TW, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. But, anyway... What I liked about this spike match, TW, not about the ending and, and of course, the, the face turn of the Night Stalker, but what I liked about it was the psychology, that the spike was in, was in play. In your mind as the f- paying audience, the, the Singapore spike was in play. You didn't know what box it was in. And the, I think I enjoyed it because of the fans, TW. And the fans just understood what the, the match is the dangers of a Singapore spike, and they never even used it. It No one got hit with the spike, TW, not on the head. And you know how Kevin Sullivan used the spike and hit you in the heart, you know, kayfabe that heart thing? That was not even in play. Brian Lee won with a fucking roll-up. This was a Monday Night Raw match. <laughs> TW. No spike was used. The spike wasn't even used on Night Stalker when he fucked up his spot. And, and I want to say one thing, because it wasn't used, and, and and the Night Stalker thing, I thought it looked like kind of a little, little bit of a botch to me, but that's just me nitpicking, but that's neither here nor there. You'll talk about how you saw this match. But I just love the, that the spike was more psychological for the fans' point of view, but it was never used. And I don't feel cheated. You know, I think today's fans is like, if you don't use uh, the spike in a, in a certain spot of a match, it's a waste of a match. These fans in 1993 did not feel cheated that the spike wasn't used. What say you, TW, about primetime Brian Lee against Kevin Sullivan, Singapore spike match? One of the most un, un I don't know if underrated, but I don't even know if you caught it. Kevin Sullivan, I said it earlier, not a fan. Mm-hmm. Kevin Sullivan opening the empty boxes had a look on his face like a kid at Christmas opening a package. He was selling it so well. And then when he opened it and it was no spike in there, 
he looked like a disappointed kid on Christmas. Like, ah, fuck. Like, it looked so genuine that mm-hmm. it, it was legit. Like, like wow. That, like, he is all in. And I felt like that in his promo, whereas many times in WCW, I felt like he was phoning it in. But, you know, backstage stuff that we don't know about is, is definitely leading itself, lending itself to that, right? So, right. Um, so I actually appreciated Kevin Sullivan's selling in every which way. I felt like the end of it, like I was starting to think, are they really not able to get this fucking handcuff off of this guy? Because they took the turnbuckle off. But as soon as he started uh, hitting him with that chair, he got released. Like, okay, they just went too long. But it it was it worked, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Unless you're like, we almost got the turnbuckle, hit him now, whatever. And if that was the case, they hid that real well that they were covering it. Um, but I. I I was half in and half out of this. I was taking my Spanish lesson at the same time as I was doing it. And uh, mm-hmm. I thought he had the damn spike, and I thought he was stabbing him in the stomach with it. He didn't he have didn't. it. He didn't. He didn't use it. <laughs> it dropped. It was never – there was no spiking play. It was just so kind of weird to me. That's why I loved it. It was the illusion that it was going to be used, and it never was used. And Brian Lee – one with a fucking roll-up. That was the funniest part of it. Again, like I said, I, I think today's fans, and I think I'll even say, you know, fans who've been watching it for 40 years who who think there's a certain formula or a certain way to watch it, probably would nitpick say, you didn't use the spike in a certain spot. What a waste of a match. Why have a s- stupid Singapore spike match? You know, it just doesn't make no sense, you know. You got to have the psychology. I think it's just the fan base, TW. I think Pikeville, Kentucky got it. I think they're they're used to these stories playing out because they've been watching it. They've been invested in it. They've been in the armories every week in Kentucky for Smoky Mountain Television. So they know what's up. So they don't feel cheated. Maybe if, like, you and I are watching this for the first time or we just stumble onto this. What? I, I don't this is weird. This is this is this is worse than the uh, the coal miners glove match in Halloween Havoc '92 between Jake the Snake Roberts and Sting, which was a waste of a spin the wheel make the deal because you was thinking in your head, you wasted all that uh, all that drama for a stupid match that n- these two wrestlers didn't even know how to climb up a fucking pole or, they, <laughs> or the pole would have dropped. You know, we're saying all this. It's a waste. You know, we're as the consumer, we're either jaded. We're just so selfish, TW. Agree, disagree, have a different take. Um, I would say this. I would say that we're probably families there who were happy that their kids didn't see someone getting stabbed with a spike. Okay. Um, they were also happy that the baby face won, and he won in, like, underdog fashion. That's weird. I, I have a problem with that because Brian Lee rolling up Kevin Sullivan is more of a guy Kevin Sullivan size rolling up someone Brian Lee's size. Like, Daniel Bryan, or Rey Mysterio rolling up Kevin Nash. That, that, to me, that finish is more for that, not for a big guy doing it. But right. they did paint the picture that this was Kevin Sullivan's baby of a match and that he was the – he never – you know I don't know if he never lost him, but that was the chain match. They said that. But that that he was just the king of this match. So I think people were relieved that, A, Brian Lee got out of there without getting massacred with this spike, and he won. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I think – Possibly because the the next match has lots of blood. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe they didn't want back-to-back blood matches. Because if you do the spike, someone's got a gig. So right. now you run the risk of having blood in the ring 
for two new guys to come out there and bleed in. And 93, AIDS is in full swing, you know. It's mm-hmm. it's it's hepatitis is fucking going around. So maybe that's why I didn't, nobody bled. But, yeah, it, the threat of it was enough. And yeah. it's like one of my favorite things in wrestling that people don't do anymore. Um, I always thought it was funny because why would the bad guy telegraph it? But the bad guy's not telegraphing it because the referee's back is turned. But when the, when the bad guy holds the chain up and wraps his fist with the chain, he does that so everybody in the building knows he put a chain on his hand. If he does it mm-hmm. underneath here, then nobody knows what he did. So you're overselling it, and you have your hand up high, and the referee's back's turned, and then you hit the guy with the chain, and then you tuck it, tuck it back in your uh, gear. Macho Man pulled the, the coins out for uh, Tito Santana. Tito. Everyone knew it. it. He swung and missed, and everyone's like, woo! And then he went for the belly to back, and then pow! And that's how he won the belt. I'll never forget that as long as I live. I was angry because Tito was my guy, damn it. And, of course. Uh, but everyone in the building knew he had something. Kurt Hennig, again, the most confusing fucking heel turn ever because he's chasing the heel for months. He finally, maybe a year he was chasing Nick Bockenwinkle. And then he cheats to win with a roll of coins, but he busted them open so they went everywhere so that everyone knew he hit Nick Bockenwinkle with a roll of coins. So I, I love the telegraphing it and letting everybody know. And, and so because people have seen the spike used and they've seen the coins and they've seen the brass knuckles. They're afraid of that spike, but then they're almost relieved that it didn't cost Brian Lee and he won. So I think, Mm -hmm. I think that works in 93. I think it works in Kentucky. I don't know that it works now. And I don't know that it works in the city where people fucking want blood. It doesn't work. It it doesn't work in Stanford, Connecticut. That's for damn sure. So many people on my Facebook who, Absolutely, belly. It could be a five-star Meltzer Classic, Hell in the Cell, uh, Elimination Chamber, or any kind of cage match. If someone doesn't bleed, my Facebook is just loaded with people bitching about no blood. And I'm like, ain't bled in 20 years. When someone bleeds in the WWF, they bleed the hard way, right? They did. They got busted open accidentally. So they why for are real. you still? Why are you still holding out for someone to bleed when you know it's not going to happen? And I think the last time it happened, it was in the book I just read, was Sean and Jericho. Sean busted, he gigs knowing they were going to get in trouble. And Vince said, all right, I'll let it go. Because he was mad that Sean bled with Jericho. It might have been mania. I don't remember where he bled. It might have been an attack, actually, to set up it was a, a match. No, it was, it was, it was after um, the... The flair thing. I know what you're talking about. It was like 2008, nine stuff like that. But that's like the last time someone gigs and mm-hmm. bled. Other yeah. than that, it's always been the hard way. And they fucking immediately take the camera off of them. Like, all right, we're not showing that yeah. no more. And then, and then they... Well, talking about bleeding, we go into the co-main event of this Bluegrass Brawl. For the Smoky Mountain Heavyweight Championship, we got the Dixie Man... Tracy Smothers, the wild-eyed Southern boy, challenging, you call him T.L. Hopper in WWE. He is known as the Dirty White Boy in a Tennessee chain match Reflection Nights. And the goal of the Tennessee chain matches in the Southern Wrestling Territories Reflection Nights, you had to tap the the top uh, turnbuckles four times to win the match. T.W., let's talk about one thing. You know, I understand the, again, we, we always talk about merchandising. You right. can't merchandise in WWF a guy named Dirty White Boy. It just doesn't work. <laughs> I understand that. Too. Dirty White Boy by Foreigner. 
or Dirty Deeds or whatever. I remember oh, him Dirty White to... Boy by Foreigner. No, no, I, that it, Dirty no White in Smoky in Smoky in Smoky Mountain, but in the Mid South he came out to Dirty Deeds. So oh, I've heard oh. I've heard that song too for him. But uh, I can understand Vince McMahon not you know merchandising Dirty White Boy, but I maybe because I'm not eight years old, maybe I'm not seven years old, but T.L. Hopper, the man who picks boogers and holds up a plunger up his ass, he didn't do it for me, T.W. He was still but, dirty. <laughs> and he was still dirty, but it was just like he was a plumber. So, T.W., we understand the larger-than-life uh, personas that Vince McMahon was trying to cater to for the, for the 10-year-olds, but I don't think these 10-year-olds even cared for a plumber. What say you, T.W.? And then we'll talk about this match. I don't think he was set up to be over. Uh, really? Uh, wait, wait, wait. Like, T.W., let me, let me interrupt you one more second for the Reflectionites. I just want to prove a point for the seven people. You know this, and T.W. will know this too. Uh, a lot of people who – a lot of people in the last couple of years, T.W., who have been let go, released the Keith Lees, the Carrion Crosses. What is the one term you've heard said over and over? Vince McMahon left a bunch of money on the table. Right. So I'm not denying that Dirty White Boy didn't make Jim Cornette some money in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, but damn sure Vince McMahon has left a lot of money uh, off the table for decades. He didn't, you know, certain, there's many people you can count it, more on in your hands that Vince McMahon kind of shitted, shitted on or did not, you know, book fight. Right. And just didn't see it like we saw. So, T.W., go ahead. I, I didn't mean to interrupt. I just wanted to say Dirt, that. Dirty White Boy, I'm going to defend Vince here because whereas he was a good talker, <laughs> he did a great promo in supposedly Central Park where he did the chain smacking the watermelon. That was, that was the answer. No, it was a blue screen behind him, I think. But because uh, the mm-hmm. echo when he broke the bottle sounded like he was in a damn warehouse, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. But the guy looked like 20 pounds of shit in a five-pound bag. That He was never... He was never ever, you know. You want you want proof that Vince is a body guy, Terry Gordy. Mm-hmm. Terry Gordy was fucking put in a mask and covered his entire body with a fucking cape and called the executioner, and basically was on TV two three times. Never ever ever, other than mm-hmm. way back in the day when the Freebirds were in and out of territories like it was a, a fucking hot potato. Um, Terry Gordy just had a terrible look, and ca- call it what you will, Ted Turner didn't make no money with Terry Gordy either. So it's like, that's that's mm-hmm. my thing, is when there is far more instances of Vince taking a guy that someone else didn't do anything with and making something out of, than there is the other way around. Two such guys, two very, very such guys who ended up being huge for WCW, are Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. How many mm-hmm. different gimmicks did Kevin Nash have in WCW? He was Master Blaster Steel. He was Vinny Vegas. He was fucking Oz, the absolute worst gimmick of all time. Z-Man, two years in a row, gets squashed by some stupid new debuting character at Halloween Havoc, and one of them was Oz, and mm-hmm. he was nothing. He's Diesel Shawn Michaels' bodyguard, who, by the way, Shawn Michaels saw him on TV and said, I want that guy to be my bodyguard. And Diesel bamboozled his way out of there, and they had no idea. He just he, – it's brilliant to hear the story how Diesel got out of WCW and went – Shawn Michaels handpicked that guy from watching him on TV. 
That guy is one of the fuck. If there was a Mount Rushmore of ten people, he's probably on it because of Diesel turning into Kevin Nash. Scott mm-hmm. Hall was Gator Scott Hall. He was Starship Wolf or whatever the hell. He was the Diamond Stud, which was awesome, which was basically Razor Ramon with a better name, which I actually loved the Diamond Stud. It took me so long to realize the Diamond Stud was Scott Hall. I'm embarrassed. Yeah. It's it's right up there with it not knowing Doom was Ron Simmons and Butch Reed until they got their hoods taken off. It's insane yeah. to me that he didn't know that was them. But either way. It happens. It happens. And then you have the Night Stalker is now Adam Bomb. And, yeah, he wasn't. Huge success, but we all know who Adam Baum is, right? Mm-hmm. Most people wouldn't know him as the night soccer. He took Brian Lee, made it the bike chains or whatever, but he was a fake Undertaker, and he had an awesome run as the fake Undertaker. Kane. Kane was the fucking Unabomber or whatever the hell he was, and then he was mm-hmm. Isaac Yankum, terrible. And then Kane, Kane, with the ma- Kane never takes the mask off. He's in my top ten of all time, not as a wrestler, but it's a character gimmick, right? It, it just He's an awesome thing until he takes the damn hood off or the, mm-hmm. the gimmick off. But Vince has so much more um, experience taking nothing and making something out of it than dropping the ball, if you will. But he's a body guy, and there's not many guys. Unless you're Yokozuna or King Kong Bundy, and then you're heel, right? Mm-hmm. And he used you. John Studd wasn't sloppy. He was actually in pretty good shape for being that damn tall. Andre used to be, but Andre's seven foot five, so you got to sell him. You know what I mean? It's just mm-hmm. T.L. Hopper, whatever reason, it was a dumb name. I felt like, oh, what is this, Dusty Rhodes number two? Because remember, Dusty Rhodes was cleaning toilets out in his vignettes, saying mm-hmm. he's a common man, right? So I, I don't, I don't think. And McMahon made money with Flair for the year he was there, or whatever, however long he was there. He made money with the Brainbusters for the year they were there. So I, I just think nowadays, yeah, okay. But I'll say it once. I say it a thousand times. I'm sorry if the seven of our fans are AEW for life. I'm actually going to go to the Joe Arena unless it sells out before because I had never seen Adam Cole live, so I'm going. But mm-hmm. uh, um, Keith Lee is a giant ball of boredom for me. And and Karrion Cross, same thing. They both got mm-hmm. good looks. They both can wrestle good moves and stuff like that. But when they talk, it's NyQuil for me, both of them. And I wanted both of them to be successful. I feel like like that Odyssey Jones, I think is his name. And then you had, uh, what's the guy that's in Impact now? Is Noah or Jonah or whatever the hell? Jonah Ross Rock. Reed. Mm-hmm. Those, I, I feel like there's only room for one of those guys. And I think Odyssey Jones is the next one to not make it. Because Keith Lee did and Bronson Reed did and And now you're going to have this guy. They're always looking for that big dude that can do all this stuff. And I think McMahon watches it and goes, eh, I can watch little dudes do this stuff. You know what I mean? It's not as impressive to him and for mm-hmm. whatever reason. But it's his company. So if he's not entertained by it, apparently Tony Khan's entertained by everything that ever fucking touched the indie scene. So God bless him. He books the stuff he likes. You're going and, to do that. And reflectionize, hence why Dirty White Boy might make money for Jim Cornette in a smaller territory in this Mid-South area, but he just doesn't play well on the big stage. He doesn't play well in Stanford, Connecticut, hence why we got T.L. Hopper. But T.W. wasn't about Dirty White Boy. It wasn't It wasn't about Ron Wright. It was about Mr. Dixie, Mr. Confederacy, Tracy Smothers, attaining a dream in the Tennessee chain match for the Smoky Mountain Heavyweight Championship. 
TW, the only thing I would have to say here is there was a botch, and it was Tracy <laughs> Smothers' fault because they redid the, the winning spot. Because if you right. notice, yeah, Mark Curtis was the referee who was also, you know, the marketing uh, director of Smoky Mountain Wrestling for Jim Cornette. But anyway, neither here nor there, Reflection Nights. But at the end, Reflection Nights, if you see this match, Tracy Smothers forgets to tap the, the one of the turnbuckles. So there was supposed to be a spot where both Dirty White Boy and Tracy Smothers touch it at the same time. Tracy must have been smoking that good doobie, that good Kentucky <laughs> doobie, TW. He forgot to do one of them. But Mark Curtis did his job. He 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 kept score. It was like 2-1 Dirty White Boy, 3-2 uh, Dirty White Boy. But the spot was supposed to be that Tracy Smothers flips over Dirty White Boy to grab the fourth one to win. Mark Curtis found a way to tell Tracy Smothers, do it over, do it over, find a way to do it over. He did. He listened. They redid the spot. And Tracy Smothers becomes the Smoky Mountain Heavyweight Champion, TW. The Confederacy loves it. White cracker-ass crackers love it. And, you know, I got my sense of revenge by for the damn Yankee dirty white boy where he attacks Tracy Smothers in the locker room. He couldn't celebrate being the, the heavyweight champion of the world. And you talked about it. You had to save the bleeding for the co-main event. So we're going to talk about the next, the last match. They they bled there, but you are right, TW. It was a smart idea that the spot in the spike match nobody bled. So TW, what say you about this match? And then we'll talk about the main event. I didn't catch that he missed one of those turnbuckles because I again I was doing my Spanish lesson. I kept looking up. That finish mm -hmm. is the finish almost every single time in a chain match and a bull rope match. Luger and Stan Hansen did the exact same finish other than the flip over the top. So when they did the flip over the top, although it took way too long and it was clumsy as shit, it was, I liked it. It was different because Luger and Stan Hansen, it was a bull rope match. They mm -hmm. did it. And Stan Hansen was just dragging him having his way. Like, and then Luger did whatever and then crawled up and then touched the thing, which is almost the coward's way. But it's the thinking like, like, that's what I like. This, and it's funny you say that because I didn't catch it. I just thought they teased it. Like, all right. Because it looked like, to me, T.L. Hopper. It looked like Dirty White Boy just stopped trying to hit the fourth corner. And I'm like, why did he mm -hmm. stop? Right? Because I didn't know he missed one. So on the second pass, God bless Tracy Smothers. He probably was mad. Like, fuck you. I touched it. And he fucking was, like, beating the shit out of it. Like, it, mm -hmm. he was, like holding, holding the chain up. He was like. Ha! There's one, some bitch. There's two. Like it, there was no doubt he touched them all on the second mm -hmm. pass. And when they did the third one, again, dirty white boys going for, and I, I'm sure they tried to make it look like he held them back. So dirty white boy turned around, like, "What are you doing?" And then he flipped them over. But it looked mm -hmm. like they talked to each other too long. So to me, it was a sloppy finish. But I liked the finish that he basically dirty white boy caused himself by flipping him over like that. So it still mm -hmm. made T.L. Hopper. <laughs> I didn't do that on purpose. It still made Dirty White Boy. Oh, whatever you want to. If it's T.L. Hopper, it's T.L. Hopper. It protects Dirty White Boy because he lost because he, he, his violence got the best of him. Like, instead of just hitting the fourth corner, oh, I hit you. And then he flips him over and then causes him to touch the mm -hmm. fourth one. Also, he had no idea that he was touching 
the turnbuckles at the same time, so he felt safe. And I, I think it was a nice touch having him attack him in the back. I thought the promo was it seemed pretty heartfelt. Like he was genuinely happy to win that belt, even though I'm sure we got in the back, he threw it to somebody and said, Here, here's your belt, because they don't care. But he's so talking about that the care. Smoky Mountain Championship. That means that he's getting paid. He's not getting paid a hot dog and a handshake. He's getting Probably. like a thousand dollars. How many? Uh, hey, fuck, made no thousand dollars. How many? Uh, how many guys do you think held that title? Uh, they weren't even around long, were they? Probably three or four year history. Uh, I give it a good. And thirty white boy had it for ten months to one year, so there's yeah, so one champ. Tracy's the most maybe would be seven. Who else held it? I don't know. I don't have it. Maybe I don't know. Unabomber, I think was. Go, go ahead, Google it. But anyway, I just wanted to, to talk about that match. You know, again, the ending was okay to me. They just redid the, the spot. Nothing wrong with that. And, of course, the hero went over strong here. And, of course, the, the backstage stuff was good. I was waiting for more uh, cracker-ass crackers to, like, throw champagne on him and say, you know, white rights, you know, white power and all that stuff. But, again, we didn't get that. <laughs> but let's talk about what it is here, TW, and... I learned something here with this main event. Now, TW, maybe you knew this and I didn't. And oh, I don't oh. really talk about this. Oh, what? Jerry Lawler was the last champ. Brian Lee was the first. And oh, Smoky Brad Armstrong and Dirty White Boy both had it three times. And the longest reign was Dirty White Boy, 237 days. And the shortest reign, which was obviously a play on NWA's history, one day. Can you guess who was the one-day champion? Jerry Lawler. Tommy Rich. Oh, Tommy Rich? Oh, okay. So and Remember he had it for one day as NWA champion. He lost it to Harley Ray or yeah. whatever, something. So it was about Oldest seven. Champion, long, so it was about seven. Champion. So count them. How many guys? This is, oh, this is nonsense. Heaviest champion, Brian Lee, 286 pounds. Lightest champion, Dirty White Boy, 211. TW, count how many guys? I said seven. Oh, I'm looking. Looking. One, two. Well, there was. Are we? Well, they're counting the same. There. Let me say it. There were. Mm-hmm. Seventeen title reigns. Uh huh. Lawler, Armstrong, Rich, Gordy. Four. Mandel, five. Bobby Blaze. Six. Said Lawler, right? Mm-hmm. Dirty White Boy. Seven. That's Jake Roberts. Eight. Ryan Lee. Tracy Smothers. Ten. So, all right, ten. So seven to ten. That's that's a good range for a four-year uh, company. But now let's get into the main event. Reflection Ice and TW, like I was going to say, I learned something here today. Now, TW, if I ask you the question, who invented the three-way dance or the triple threat match? What answer would you think a lot of fans would say who invented that concept? Trios. <laughs> no, but seriously, let, let's go with it. Now, for me... I would say NWA. No, I actually... Oh, world class, world class. Yeah. No. A lot of people, and I even thought this, maybe I was stuck in my brainwashing days. I thought the three-way dance, the triple threat, was created oh, by Paul Hayman. Yeah. Okay. Was created by Paul Heyman and ECW because the first match that was ingrained in my brain was Sabu, Terry Funk, and Shane Douglas. 
Never heard of the concept. Never heard of that, anything before that. And that was 94. This trumps it because right? this is April 1993 Reflection Nights. I learned something today that watching this was the first. And I'm going to say this. And if you find something, TN Couponer, dispute me on that. I, <laughs> I hope you can find it because I know you're good at this shit. But I'm going to dispute anybody. This is the first legit American triple threat match in wrestling history. I'm not going to talk about FMWTW in Japan. I'm not going to talk about New Japan or All Japan Pro Wrestling if they did it. I don't even know if even Jerry Lawler did a, a three-way match in the Mid-South. I can't even find it. And I've been watching shit from Mid-South in the 70s and 80s myself. This is the first legit triple threat three-way dance between the heavenly bodies of Stan Lane and Dr. Tom Pritchard wannabe Roddy Piper teaming with beautiful Bobby Eaton, the stud stable with Dirty Dutch Mantel, and the Rock and Roll Express who recruited Arn Anderson TW. All the variables were there, but I just want to say this. Can you dispute it, TW, in, in your wrestling knowledge, in your, you know, you were actually in the, in the thick of it, 93, 94, 95. Did you hear the concept of the three-way dance before ECW? Did you hear the concept of the triple threat match before even this? Maybe you knew something that I didn't even know. It's funny because, oh, yeah, it, it's that match. I just Googled it, and <clears throat> that's one of those things you take for granted. I would have assumed – I thought your first question was who invented the six-man tag team, like the three-man team. That's why I said NWA uh -huh. or world-class because they had championships. Um mm -hmm. But I, uh, I just Googled it, and the two answers that come up are Terry Funk, Sabu, and Shane Douglas. And then someone goes, no, March of 1993 was Rock and Roll Express versus yeah. Midnight Express versus uh, – or Heavenly Bodies versus – but that's the answer. And then the very first one they think WWE did was uh, Crush, Farouk, and Sabio Vega in 97. That was the uh, Nation of Domination turmoil uh, triple yeah. threat match. But they already took from ECW, which we already knew they stole that stuff, that concept. Even uh, WCW stole the EC. Well, again, I thought it was an ECW thing. I thought it was a Paul Heyman thing. This is so who's the positive. first Fatal 4-Way, ECW? Uh, the first Fatal 4-Way? You know what? You want to Google it? Go ahead, Google, Google it. But I'm just going to say this. That's, you, you're blowing my mind. I would have thought three guys' matches were from the dawn of time. No. Like, it's the perfect way to screw a champion without the champion losing a belt by having them. You know why people – you know what people confuse that with, TW? The Texas Tornado match because four guys are in the ring, right, but it's a tag right. team match. But it's not a it's not a fatal four-way. It's not anything. It's a tag team match with all four guys – fighting in the ring but this is the first legit triple threat match in american wrestling history again i'm again reflection as i'm saying american i don't know if japan did this even in the late 80s i would say if fmw did that in the late 80s that probably was jim Cornette was doing his homework there that's where i will give it but again this is american history reflection nights but now tw you know, again, we talk about Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Jim Cornette wanted to get away from WCW. He hated Jim Hurd and all that stuff. Another guy who hated WCW. Another guy who hated 
uh, Jim Hurd was Stan Lane. He left the Midnight Express legacy. He left that train of being one of the greatest tag teams of all time to start up a new tag team. And in 1993, TW, Stan Lane uh, did the reu reuniting uh, Fabulous Ones circa Mid-South with Steve Kern, a.k.a. Skinner. But, of course, his bread and butter was doing the Heavenly Bodies. He was the first member of the Heavenly Bodies with Dr. Tom Pritchard. Then I think Stan Lee got an injured neck or something, and then he had to go into the commentating role. Again, Jim Cornette took care of his boy. He got him a commentating role in WWE because he kind of was like Gorilla Monsoon's sidekick for about two years, if I remember right. correctly, on Superstars and Wrestling Challenge and stuff like that. So Jim, that's where Gigolo Jimmy Del Rey took over the mantle for Stan Lang. But TW, I love the Heavenly Body concept. Of course, Jim Cornette. You know, when Jim Cornette is a part of something like that, I give I, I give it its undivided attention. And, of course, <laughs> storyline-wise with the Forbidden Door, you add the WCW element, the connection with Bobby Eaton. That's a great uh, three-man team right there. And, of course, you got the stud stable. You talked about the continental history of, of Rob, Rob, Robert Fuller, Jimmy Golden, and adding Dirty Dutch Mantel. That connection is there storyline-wise. And, of course, Rock and Roll Express. Again, you need, you know, Jim Cornette needs a protagonist because he's the antagonist. Rock and Roll Express, of course, the 80s history. They're one of the number, they're the number one pretty boy tag team. Of course, TW disagrees because he loves the Rockers in that mantle of the pretty boy tag teams. And the Rockers are a, a distant fourth. Neither here nor there. We're not talking about that. But they incorporate Arn Anderson, one of their top enemies. And here's the intriguing part. For the consumer, TW, I think a lot of people in Kentucky, and if I saw this in 1993, just watching it like you and me were watching it, I would have expected Arn Anderson to uh, double-cross them and join 100%. 100%. This was a great uh, triple threat match. The Heavenly Bodies won. There was a lot of blood. We can't deny that. And the funny thing was Rock and Roll. Tracy Express Smothers bled too, by the way. No, no, I'm just saying, but you were right in the concept of not using the the spike did not cause bleeding. You did not want to have bleeding after bleeding after bleeding. Right. Twice right. is enough. Two matches in a row is enough. Not three in a row. I guess that would be monotonous. But what say you, TW, about this? The first ever triple threat match in American history. If that's history in the making, TW. Well, I did try to look up the Fatal 4-Way, which the, the name is obviously copyrighted by WWE, so that's mm -hmm. that. But it looks like 97 had Brett, Austin, Undertaker, and Vader in one. However, mm -hmm. ECW had one in 96, and they didn't call it Fatal 4-Way. Because mm -hmm. um, so, it makes more sense that ECW would have done because they were extreme, and that's what's more extreme than three guys? Four guys. Mm -hmm. Six-packs challenge or whatever, I think, is six dudes. But and Then it got I, really I, weird. I'm, I'm still blown away that the, the first ever triple – threat match was this and uh absolutely i mean i'm accepting Arn more and, and tw tw before keep your train of thought reflection nights and for all the jim Cornette haters i've heard this about jim Cornette. he's out of touch he doesn't he, you know he's stuck in the 70s this is what i keep hearing on the social media tw this is a man adapting to the 90s creating a concept that people are just so are just so used to right now he created the concept. The man, Mr. Out of Touch himself, 
created this concept, TW. Go ahead. I'm sorry. To you know what would have made this greater? If It would have made no damn sense. But I think 93 is right when Sean turned on uh, Marty, so he wouldn't have been available. But if Marty would have... If Marty would have teamed with the Rock and Roll Express, it would have been just perfect. Because Arn, mm-hmm. like you said, I waited for him to turn the entire time. I'm like, and 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 the, the whole time you were talking, it just dawned on me. I've only known the Heavenly Bodies as Jimmy Del Rey and and Tom Pritchard. So mm-hmm. I don't think I think if I knew Stan Lane was one of the Heavenly Bodies, it was because of the magazines. But I don't mm-hmm. think I ever saw him as one. And I will say this, Arn's. This is going to be an unpopular opinion. I I I don't think Arn Anderson is as good in promos as people. Do. He's good at delivering them, but I don't mm-hmm. always agree that what he's saying is good, if that makes any sense. Because he ends it with, I would recognize, he goes, the more you talk, the more mad I'm getting. He goes, I would recommend that you don't show up because the life you see it may be your own. Like he was always cheesy and corny and, and basically hodgepodging other cliches or whatever. But he okay. was good at, at talking. He just wasn't necessary. Like, like for me, the guy that gets ripped on the most is the warrior. But everybody remembers it. Yeah, it sounded like nonsense. But that was his whole fucking gimmick was he was insane. Let me and, let me try to translate this. You say Arn is good at talking but not good at articulating. Is that what you're trying to say? Right. Like his words are not – it's like – Ooh, tough guy. Like, you still look like my uncle or my grandfather, so pick one and mm-hmm. suck it. But <laughs> he, he, he just totally was better. Totally made you hate him, right? Mm-hmm. He was he was Ric Flair before Ric Flair was to me because I, I feel like I, I heard Tully talking way more. And then Ric Flair would just, after Tully was talking, Rick would go, Woo! I fucked all the bitches in Space Mountain, whereas Tully talked about what he did and what he's going to do to you, and it was mm-hmm. more wrestling-based. The Warrior and Macho Man, they their whole gimmicks were that they were nuts, and and their promos did that. It, it like Warriors, like I'm gonna grab the cockpit and I'm gonna nose dive in the Hulkamania. Whatever, it, it just was like I don't know the fuck he said, but I'm in. That's what I thought. And the same thing with Macho Man. You're like, damn, the cream rises to the top, damn it. But he was, you know, dig it. He was just good. But to me, the best interview of all was Stan Lane. Stan mm-hmm. Lane's was like heartfelt. It was he goes. You know, we should all be thinking about the money we're going to make in there, but we're not. The money's good, and we love it, but we're going out there because he was mad that they had to be in this match. And they were, But mm-hmm. he's like, I brought Bobby Eaton here. He said, we're going to go out there. We're going to walk in there. We're going to walk out of there. But it felt passionate and heartfelt. Whereas Ricky Morton, again, good at talking, but what he said didn't win me over. He's like, and we went and got out double A because he doesn't care that the sun don't shine. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, it just was corny hillbilly speak, right? And Arn was the same way. <laughs> and then Robert Fuller, is, he's tremendous. Like, I don't know how he never made it to WWE as a manager. He, that guy. Because of his, money. no, because of his Southern drawl. It just didn't work. Dude, put him with the freaking honky top man. He could be a Colonel Parker. He was hilarious. I don't care what he's saying. I don't care if he's trying to make me mad or scared. When that dude spoke, I laughed my ass off every, I cannot help. He was he was only there for like he was only there for a cup of coffee with Jeff Jarrett in that NWA gimmick in '98, but that was it. In WWF, yeah, 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 yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Like, like think about it in hindsight. You talk about race stuff. I wonder if they purposely put him with the Harlem Heat to make him look like a Southern, like the owner. You know what I mean? Like, cause that's plantation owner. Yeah. It was always weird that he was with Harlem Heat. 
But yet Scary Sherry was perfect for them. So, again, mm-hmm. everyone throws the shit on McMahon, but uh, WCW is Southern, and that mm-hmm. dude came off as a plant. Like, Colonel Sanders comes off as a fucking plantation owner to me. But, but dude, Stan Lane's promo there, and the funny thing is, when they were the Midnight Express, he almost never talked. It was always Cornette running his mouth, and then Bobby Eaton said nothing. He'd be like, yeah. And then Stan Lane would be like, we'll see you at, re- we'll at ringside. You know, something like that, but his was his he blew me away man and it, it took me sitting here listening to you talk going wait a minute that motherfucker was a heavenly body like i remember when they formed i think from the magazines mm-hmm. thinking who the hell is tom pritchard and why wouldn't you just be with bobby eaton right but damn it i'll be damned if i just it just dawned on me when you're talking like i have no memories of that jimmy del rey was the other heavenly body it was jimmy mm-hmm. del rey and tom pritchard that's who i remember i don't Shit, man, that's insane to me. And I didn't know he had a neck injury. So the whole time I'm watching, I'm like, why did that guy cut his hair and become Ken Resnick? I don't get it. Like, I mean, he, he had the game show host looks. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think but it was it, a neck injury, if I'm not mistaken. But it was, something cut his career very short because he did this and then something happened and then went straight into commentating very quickly. Just what a, what a legacy. This guy was a fabulous one. He was a replacement player for the Midnight Express the best version of it for me. And then mm-hmm. he was the guy who got replaced in the heavenly bodies. And it's like, and he always did that little judo kick. And remember we, we did a pay-per-view with midnight express. And I was like, Stan lane is like a smaller Lex Luger. Like the guy had it all. He could talk, he could work. Mm-hmm. He had a good look. Uh, his hair always looked kind of shitty. Like he could have probably done something better with his hair. Like just seemed like he was there. Let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question here for this match. TW you talking about the, the dimensions of a ring. This is a, a 16 by 16, you're saying? This, yeah, or this one. It, it's, I don't think this is 18 by 18. I think it was 16 by 16, which is let still big. Ask, no, okay, I'm just saying it's still big, but let me ask you this question visually. Tr- tr- I'm trying, you know, try to get into your days of wrestling in those 16 by 16. You even said you wrestled a 20 by 20 and you lost your step kicking somebody in the head. Does it help or hinder the size of the ring when you want to do a spot. What say you? So it's funny you bring that up. So Al Snow actually brought this up to us at his school. The WWF has actual ropes, right? Mm -hmm. WCW has cables. They're steel ropes. Mm -hmm. And so some of the shit that guys do, like if you notice in WWE, guys aren't doing like the AJ Styles Superman punch. He ain't doing it from the middle of the ring. He's doing it from the side because it's firmer there. It's it's tighter in the corner than it is in the middle. Mm-hmm. Jericho still did the lion salt from the middle, but mm-hmm. the ropes have different give. And because it's 20 by 20, I'm telling you, it's a full extra stride. Like when I got whipped into the ropes, I, like I got backed into it, I would take mm-hmm. one step, two step, turn around, hit the rope, one step, two step, take the hit toss, take the backdrop, take whatever. Sometimes one step and take it if the guy follows me in. That fucking ring in Kentucky, I whipped Casey to the ropes. He reverses it, and I'm like, what the f- where the fuck is the rope? And I had to go one more stride, and now I'm turning with the other leg because I'm like I leave with my right and then my left, and then I turn around. Well, I go right, left, right, and then when you go to turn around, it's like, okay, I'm turning around on the leg that's forward. It was weird, but w- what happened was it was so far apart from rope to rope and the white light above us and the white canvas and fucking Casey Thunder's white ass when he whipped me to the ropes and bent over to do the uh 
you know, the backdrop, and then I kicked him, and then when he when he sat up from the kick, I super kicked him, and that was our mm-hmm. finish, right? Well, I didn't know what the fuck he was, and I'm like, I'm gonna miss. I'm like, I have, I cannot see him. I hit the rope. I'm like one two, and I kicked like Charlie Brown. Like, all right, here goes. I'm gonna miss, and I'm gonna take the Charlie Brown bump, and we'll just figure out another way to, uh, you know, when he misses the football. Mm-hmm. Except I didn't miss. When I hit his head with my foot. It felt like my foot broke in half. It hurt so fucking bad that I was like, oh, my God. And then I look, and he comes from, like, just picture, like, it looks like fog because of how bright the light is, and and I couldn't see him. And he steps up, and he's standing like this for the people watching. Like this. You looking? Mm -hmm. Like in the cartoons where the guy sees birds? And he just looks at me like, why? And I see his head. There's this black spot, and I just... I did this before Shawn Michaels. I went, sorry. And then I super kicked him. He crumbles. He doesn't even take a bump. I think he legit took my super kick because he didn't bump before I hit him. And I hit him. He crumbles. Mm-hmm. And I pin him. I go, dude, I'm so sorry. He's like, you motherfucker. <laughs> like, that's all. Every time he saw me for years, he points at his head and goes, that's your boot. There's a chunk of my boot in his head. That's how hard I kicked him. And, and you look at this 16 by 6. That, that's why I'm just looking at the degree of difficulty to have nine guys in a 16 by 16. Is it, it harder? Look, it easier? was Yes, it's harder because, I mean, just look at a WWE, look at the Royal Rumble when there is 13, 14 guys in there. Even though it's 20 by 20, there's nowhere to go. Like, mm-hmm. the, the big no-no in any battle royal is you don't do rope spots. You don't whip a guy off the ropes because you have no idea if there's clearance for him, A, to hit the rope and come back and B, to do your move when he does come back. Mm-hmm. And I'm just his name drop city. However, in a battle royal, I don't know how he got him to do it, Rhino parted the seas and gave me a spine buster in a battle royal and then picked me up and threw me over the top row. That's how I got eliminated. But uh, you don't do that stuff in battle royals. Like You're taught it's that? punch, kick, punch, kick, punch, kick, maybe a body slam if you got room to, to do the, the, the turn. But uh, – yeah, it's, boy, it's, has this, the battle this, royal has changed. <laughs> this mat, this match is it's so chaotic that you're just like, man, it's the first, it's the first triple threat. Jimmy right. Cornette did not know what he was. My creating. biggest problem, my biggest problem, because on top of the fact that it was hard to to figure out what was going on, these fuckers all wore the same clothes. Like, well, he had to keep the old uh, eight seventies and eighties kind of. Uh, Texas Stampede right, kind of thing. I couldn't one team wear white shirts, one team wear black shirts, one team wear red shirts. They're all, like, four or five guys are wearing a white t-shirt, and this is some gay shit that I noticed. When Tim Horner came out with uh, Brian Lee, he, mm-hmm. it was the weirdest shit. The back of his shirt was cut, and then it was tied in a knot at the back, like girls tied the shit in the front. <laughs> on their, like Or you and girl, you and your cutoffs. And mm-hmm. so, I'm looking at it going... First of all, who fucking tied that for him, right? Did he reach behind himself and tie it? Or did he go, hey, mm-hmm. man, can you tie me up real quick? And somebody probably was like, what the fuck? Then Ricky and Robert come out, and their shirt's exactly the same way. And I'm like, oh, this is a gay train. There's, they're all in the back just chugging. But, uh, but have you ever seen that before? I'm watching Celebrity Big Brother with my kids. And, uh, oh, man, he's my favorite guy on there. He, this dude... Uh, Nah, it's not I don't Lamar. Watch it, so I don't. I wouldn't know what you're talking about. No, no, uh, but it's the guy was on RuPaul's. He reminds me of Cam Newton, right? Like, mm-hmm. again, I'm I'm not politically correct. So, if any of the seven are, you know, team 
Chabella Bella Cruz with the being dudes in the DMs. He's not he doesn't come across as gay. He's gay, mm-hmm. but he doesn't come across it unless he's, he's metro. Yeah, yeah, Metro, I give you that, but he just he just he doesn't he's not like, hey, you know, that kind of thing. Unless okay. unless he says certain things and like he'll do mm-hmm. his hand like that. But just having a one on one conversation with him, he just he comes across as Cam Newton. However, mm-hmm. this motherfucker has a shirt on that is ripped in the back like Hulk Hogan ripped it off, right? Mm-hmm. But he puts his sleeves through it and then the front of it looks like the back of a shirt and the back of it's wide open. But the bottom is still held together. Like when mm-hmm. Hogan rips it off and then pulls it over his head and it's still kind of hooked together at the back. And I just thought, you would spend your entire day pulling that motherfucker back up. All day. There's no way it stays on him. And I just thought, is that what kids are wearing these days? Because I'm going to stick with my uh, Kurt Angle t-shirts if that's the case. But I, 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 it, it's nuts. It's for, the, it's for the gram. That's what, they, that's what these kids are saying. It's for the gram. gram. Yeah, for the gram. No, for the Instagram. You oh, do it Instagram. for the gram. Yeah, but that yeah. that that look that the Rock and Roll Express and Tim Horner had with the the ripped shirt and tied in a knot in the back like you tie yours in the front was just mm-hmm. super weird to me. It was, uh, and it's ninety three. Well, There's well, fucking put, bullet hell for nineteen ninety three. Yeah. Well, to put a bow on this reflectionized, the Heavenly Bodies and Bobby Eaton won because they uh, took advantage of an injury supposedly quote quote unquote injury to Robert Gibson, so they played the uh, leg injury card card tw so they can continue the heavenly bodies versus rock and roll express tag team feud so it was i guess story told you know to that point tw stud stable was just there to be like you know like an ornament to me they would like hood mm-hmm. ornaments so they were just there for the effect of the triple threat but they weren't first really eliminated yeah yeah they were the first eliminated so they weren't really that important quote unquote it was about the Rock and Roll Express and the Heavenly Body. So it played out for, you know, to try to recapture that Rock and Roll Express Midnight Express feel, which it did. And, of course, you add the forbidden door elements of Bobby Eaton and Arn Anderson, contracted WCW guys. Of course, you know, in those times, Smokey Mountain, again, was an open door policy. They were doing you know, favors for WCW. They were doing favors for WWF. So wherever the bread is buttered, TW, Jim Cornette said, I will take your money and I will do what I need to do to get things done. He took Bill Watts' WCW money before they tried to double cross him. And then, he, of course, he went to Vince McMahon in Stanford, Connecticut. And again, SMW Smoky Mountain turned into, quote unquote, an NXT where the Unabomber became Kane, where, you know, again, Night Stalker became Adam Bomb. Primetime Brian Lee became the fake Undertaker. A lot of guys from Smoky Mountain went up to Greenwich, Connecticut, I mean Stanford, Connecticut, to have long WWF careers. So, TW, we end this bluegrass brawl. Well, I I wouldn't call it a pay-per-view. I'll call it a premium event, just like they're saying today for WWE. So, TW, to end this, I'm going to give it a very surprising grade. I'm going to give it a B. Oh, we haven't done this in a while. I'm going to give it a B because I like the crowd. I like Because I like the way the crowd reacted to the matches. If it wasn't for them to react a certain way for me to appreciate the match, even though the matches were like 20 to 25 minutes long, I know it was too long for you and probably put you to sleep and probably took your attention away. So I think you might give it a lower grade. But I'm just going to give it 
a solid B and not being biased? What's AUTW and then let's get out of here. I'm going to give it an A minus. I know. And the only reason I'm giving it the A minus instead of the regular A, not talking about A train, baby, mm-hmm. is because it had a squash match in the beginning, which is like WrestleMania 1. I just don't understand why you have a squash match unless you just think you need to warm the crowd up like the curtain jerk, which it worked because you said they gave the Mongolian Stomper a standing ovation and he was a heel. So there must mm-hmm. have been some legacy to that. Um, but right. it's still is odd to me you're going to give something a name like the, the what's it called, Bluegrass Bluegill? Blue, no. Bluegrass Brawl. Brawl. That's a tongue twister. So you're going to call it the Bluegrass Bluegrass <laughs> the Bluegrass Brawl, and you're going to open up with a squash match where the heel wins and it's standing ovation. So if, if you call that the uh, pre-show, fine. Mm-hmm. You got four. It's an NXT takeover, right? Um, I didn't like also the minus is because I didn't like the fact that Adam Bomb lost by throwing the guy over the top rope. And, you know, the thing is, in hindsight now, armchair Booker, Adam Bomb should have won. And then when Brian Lee beat Kevin Sullivan, it makes him even more look like he doesn't need Kevin Sullivan, right? Like, bitch, I Mm -hmm. won that match. Um, So I would have changed that. But whatever, I get it. That's why I'm not taking it down to a B plus because you you protected him, and if you're turning him babyface anyway, there's no reason to have Tim Horner lose if he's one of your top babyfaces. So that's why I said it made sense in hindsight. But mm-hmm. I, I just hate the way. I, I think he would have been better served to get caught cheating. You know what I mean? Like maybe he gotcha. fucking snuck an Asian spike in there and got caught with it, um, mm-hmm. like a tune-up, a tune-up Asian spike. Um, but that's 20 that's the other thing 29 freaking years ago that's insane to me i'm watching these guys going wow and by the way I, every time i see him i gotta say something rest in peace to brian hildebrand he was the guy trying to uncuff uh adam bomb from the from the turnbuckle and then ended up turning the turnbuckle that was a referee mm-hmm. he wrestled on wcw i think his godzilla kid or something he got a couple matches on wcw saturday night in his gear uh but normally refereed for him but he was a good dude and he passed away cancer not long after this 93 stuff, maybe 94, 95. No, because I met him, so it would have been 95, 96. But anyways, um, they used to have a Brian Hildebrand show every year in Kentucky in honor of him. Al Snow did mm-hmm. a couple of them. Um, so anyways, I just think the audience is tremendous. Uh, obviously, they built this up right because it's packed. So I think they sold out, or at least looks like they sold out. Everybody... Mm-hmm bought into everything they sold um i i i think the match was made better by by him botching the finish uh freddie joy floyd i'm gonna call the other one t.l hopper i'm gonna call him freddie joe floyd um i think it was made better because it it was a little comic relief where he was blatantly hitting those because the first time he was trying to do it subtle and that's why i think he did it as a fuck you i hit it you know you just didn't see it because he was sneakily doing it so that the dirty white boy didn't know. But the second mm-hmm. half, he's like, fuck you. And he just like Pillman chest chopping you with the, with them. So it actually gave it a nice little personal touch. Oh, he's also passed away. Uh, Tracy Smothers, rest in peace to him too. Um, mm-hmm. So it, I just, I just like, I think everything was paced well. I think the Tim Horner versus uh, on paper would look, again, look to be another squash match. And that's what I thought it was going to be. So the fact that it was competitive and then Tim Horner won, I thought, oh, okay, it's a nice touch. And I like, this is, I can't believe I didn't say this earlier. I like that the title match happened 
before that triple threat match. I like that the triple threat match was the main event, even though it wasn't for belts and because it was, you know, just because AEW, got to take a shot at them, would have that match first. And then the next two matches would be fans sitting on their hands, not giving a shit because they're still soaking in everything they saw from the triple threat nine man match. Right. It's too mm-hmm. much to follow. So it's good that they made it last. And it was historic. You know, I don't even think they said it was the first one ever. They told you a hundred. No, they, they didn't say it. It was the first chain match in 14 years in Kentucky history. And then that mm-hmm. dude in the wheelchair had the chain that he shined up real nice and gave it to T.L. Hopper. But I just, mm-hmm. I think, I think, I don't know that I would have been a fan of this stuff back then, but as a 48-year-old who just survived a car accident, it was it was absolutely fun to watch and to see wrestling like I remember it as a kid and 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 for it to be new. That's that's another thing. I've told you this before on here. I love when we do stuff that I never saw the first time because it's watching it for the first I don't know who the fuck wins. I don't know who loses and I watch it. And even though I was sidetracked with my little Spanish lesson, I did that on purpose because if I watch, watch, I will pick it apart. I will see the botches. I will see the move that's coming two moves before it hits. I see mm-hmm. them setting it up. And that's one thing that I hate that wrestling took from me was my ability to just watch a match and enjoy it. Um, I still haven't watched Hangman Page versus Daniel Bryan uh, because it's 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 been hyped up so much that I'm going to watch it and go, okay, whatever. <laughs> you know, like... It was okay, but it was predictable that he wasn't going to lose his first title defense. But uh, but anyways, I just I say a minus because I think if you get rid of that squash match and it's something else, I, I'm not a big that's man that's guy. still a higher grade than I gave it. So right. a minus yeah. is is I almost just, the epitome of a plus. Right. Okay. I, just think, I give you. I think they did. Every, I was going to just give them a regular a. Now a plus would have been off the charts. Like I it, I didn't make me. They didn't it wasn't A+. Plus. Wheel. Yeah, it, right. it, it no, wasn't A+. Plus. The wheel. I just think they did it right. They they were It was simple, and it was professional wrestling. And there was nothing, like, if they would have had a fucking scaffold match, it would be a B plus. It wouldn't be an A-. Like, I don't need all that stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Cage match would have been fine, but the, the older I get, the more I realize cage matches are boring, other than war games. War games that's why, so I, gave, that's why I gave it a, that's why I went, when it went to the B, because it was gimmick, gimmick, gimmick. So, right. Right, but the last gimmick was the first ever. That's why it shot up. Would and have been lower still, grade it, for me. It, it, the only, but the only gimmick was you added another team, so that's still wrestling. No, no, I'm saying tornado spike match. It was a spike match, then a then a chain match, then the triple threat. So it was still gimmicks all around. But right. again, right. like you said, and that's nitpicking back, hindsight. Back before there was TV, mm-hmm. when it was territories, the big show was mm-hmm. all gimmick matches. That was the whole point. Well. With that being said, Reflection Nights, we close on the Bluegrass Brawl from Smoky Mountain Wrestling from 1993 and TW. Again, it's a blessing for you to be here. I'm blessed that you're here. So give out those socials so we can get out of here. Okay, please? All right. The Pro Wrestling Coalition Network is sponsored. That's PWC Network at podbean.com. Ours is at PW Reflection on the Twitter. Uh, since we mentioned him, we got to say at the one at the P one JB for JB and Travis at nuts and bolts PW. Um, he started his new job today. He left the prison after 20 years. And today was his first job as a full on pastor at church. Um, he had a good day. He's been texting me while we were doing the show. Our good man, big Ray Hernandez could do without him. 
at Big Ray Hernandez. I'm at Tommy Wonder 19 or at the Tommy Wonder for Twitter. My Snapchat is number wonder. Uh, I try to grow that every day. Uh, Facebook.com backslash Tommy Wonder. Um, BigVetoBrand.Wixsite.com. Uh, also, Patreon.com back, backslash the Big Veto Brand. And then Dumb Dumb Duel and the Idiot on YouTube. We have been absent as way more than me and I have for a couple of weeks. So we're going to start doing some soon. I obviously can't get out too much right now. I'm off of work. I'm at home. I can't. I can't be out and about looking like I'm good to go because I'm not. I get dizzy spells. Looking down, looking up, I get dizzy. Getting out of bed, I get dizzy. Laying down in bed, I get, so I got to take it easy. I can't drive all that. But soon enough, we're going to do some videos. And I want to say this. I, I have a backlog of people trying to add me on Facebook where I have no idea who these people are. None. And the names of some of them, God bless you, I, they sound like the names of the people who try scamming you when you accept them as a friend. A couple of them have mutual friends. I think one of them is a mutual friend with you, uh, Professor. But if they're a mutual friend with me, then it, they're okay. Yeah, well, and you then like to I, add, I added what them. You think is a hot chick, and it's some dude working oh. you from Zimbabwe. But mm -hmm. my point is, if you're going to friend request me on Facebook, I am pretty good at adding everybody. I love people mm -hmm. all, all walks of life. The further away, the better. So you can make me teach me some shit about something I don't know about in another country. I would love that. Um, mm -hmm. Or just down the street from me. I don't. I don't care where you live. But I. I the more the merrier. I, I like having people to interact with on Facebook. I like meeting new people, especially if you like the show. I mean, why wouldn't I like you? But if you're going to do it, message me too and just say, hey, I just sent you a friend request. I listened to the show or, or I'm a professor's friend, whatever. Just let me know who you are and I will accept it right away. But when I see names that don't, I can't pronounce, I, I'm a little cynical because I have added people in the past. And I immediately had to change my password. So I don't know how they did it. You don't want to get hacked. I understand. Right. I, I totally to understand. So, so that's the thing. Like, no offense. The cooler name. I love cool, weird names. Not weird names. I say weird, meaning out of the ordinary. Like, some of my favorite women I dated had names that were not normal-ass mm -hmm. names. They, they were, I dated mm -hmm. a Billy and Andy. That would automatically sounds like I'm going to do what you do and tie my shirt in a knot in the front and wear cut-off jeans at the nuts. But they were girls. <laughs> But, I'm but saying, I, I like mm -hmm. I, when I was in Spanish class in high school. Apparently, if you're Thomas, you're just Tomas in Latin-speaking countries. And I said, "That's bullshit. That's you might as well just call me Tom." So I changed my name first. Gotta mm -hmm. have a guess. In high school, what was the first name I picked in Spanish class when the teacher let me change it from Tomas? Come on, there's only one name. What? Come on! What? Roll the coins. Uh, uh, I'm I I I'm, I got a brain fart. You Tito. you you called yourself Tito. Tito. My first oh boy. Half of my first half of my first year of Spanish class, oh and then finally it got to be Calavera. So there were people in high school who knew me as Calavera, and then as a professional wrestler, when I had to become, I had to play a Mexican on TV. I changed from Tommy Wonder to Calavera Cortez. So it had history, and you know where I got that name from, Professor Tito. 21 Jump Street. Johnny Depp is Calavera and the undercover gang. He's a bato. Go ahead. Your turn. All right. Well, you know what? <laughs> just one little Twitter for me. That's <laughs> that's PWSOPROF. That's PWSOPROF. And, of course, if this gets on the YouTubes, follow it on the PWSO Networks on the YouTube channel. And, of course, follow my brothers in arms, 
Billy Ray Valentine, Mr. Anthony Fringe himself, he has the answers to the State of the Union address of Joe Biden and the uh, GOP's responses to the State of the Union. He will tell you what the real is going on at the Infinite Fringe at Obi-Wan, you know me. And of course, the king of the reactions, 8-Track Brown at 8-Track Dastly. What are we going to do next time, Reflection Ice? I don't know. Episodic movies, rivalries, spotlights, you name it, we will do it. And if you got a suggestion... Get, slide into the DM, DMs of the professor Not in that way, TW But slide into <laughs> the DMs to give suggestions to shows Of course, Tian Kupana always gives us suggestions So I'm trying to answer all the the uh, requests As fast and as uh, accurate as I can But neither here nor there And for that, I'm the professor That's Mr. Wonderful, Mr. Freaking Stein himself Tommy Wonder saying good night, and we will see you next time here at the PWR podcast at the PWS Networks at PopBeam.com. Good night, Reflectionites. Wild eyed Southern boys. Well, the South shall rise again. Every time you That's say crazy. we're going to take an hour, we take two hours. Every single time.